Hi, and welcome to another episode of Radio Free Golgotha. Hello. That's Al. He's British. I am. Uh... On some days, every second Tuesday, he's American. Oh. We're all American here, Al. <laughs> all right, California Uber Alex. Uh, yeah. This is Jesse. Uh, Americana. <laughs> okay. Yes. Hello. We are recording from the secret rat cave location in honor of the good Saint Cyprian, which many people have been asking, when are we doing a Cyprian episode? Lo and behold, on his feast day. Um, <laughs> it's funny that we're still getting the hang of things last year, and, and now we are saving our Cyprian load for today. So it is a, a big old feast of, of black magic and small compact packages, depending on how long we have. But this is a conversation starter, not ever meant to be authoritarian, except that we're right and you're wrong. As is tradition. <laughs> In accordance with the prophecy, accordance with the prophecy. Um, which is, of course, all bullshit. So uh, it's actually a question we get a lot on the folk necromancy group with like, what exactly is the prophecy? <laughs> <laughs> and if you, if you don't know, you know, if you have to ask anyway. So uh, why don't you tell people what today's episode is brought to you by, sure. brought to us by them by, I don't know. Well, it's brought to you by us, waving you a very merry uh, Cyprianmus and indeed a Justinamus, perhaps <laughs> as well. It is the Artistismus. Yeah. It is brought to you by the Saint Cyprian, uh, obviously. The demon Hale uh, and the Eshu of Kimbanda, Eshu Meanoich, <laughs> and the plant Asafetida, if I say that. In a manner that I think is right. Asifetida. Yeah. Right? Asifetida. The devil's dung. Yeah, devil's dung. Asifetida is how I know it. Uh, it's also brought to you by the stone jet or gigantes, as it's also sometimes known. Or... Lignite. Yeah, lig Black amber. It's another fun name. Oh, it was also brought to you by the genre of magic or the, the magic of books, of grimoires, and of Liber Spiriti uh, or Liber Spiritums, if you want to do a, an English pluralization. And indeed, the geomantic figure of Cowder. Draconis, the dragon's tail, and the corresponding Odin, uh, Ogunda, and the tarot card of the magician. Who's our dead magician now? It's a Cyprian as well. It's, it's both the Cyprians, arguably. There we go. Or Gyprian, as he's even sometimes uh, written. Lazy. Occasionally. Lazy, combining all these topics. Mm. Where it's, it's, it's a supercharged, <laughs> extra focus. All those people are like, that three-hour episode was way too long. <laughs> it's time that you just do a 30-minute episode and combine everything <laughs> to just being about Cyprian. So this is hopefully coming to you on the 26th of September, which is no longer the seventh month, despite its name, Trixie Month. And it is a feast of, of Cyprian and of Justina, who is arguably the power behind the don't call it a throne, but the savior of the Virgin Martyr who redeems Cyprian. And it is a redemption story. And we do, we do just as well to mention that this is also the feast of Cosme and Damian. That's also true. It's also true because they're twinsies that because they get to, which makes sense to me at least. And they are conveniently one after the other. So they're also uh, served on the, on the 27th. I would love to them next year and really go in, in, in depth with them. They're great doctors, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the divine physicians. In going over, in having just finished teaching a course on the fourth book of occult philosophy and talking about the isagogue, the the treatise uh, on the nature of spirits, that's one of the texts included in that compilation that gets called the fourth book. The dialogue on this conversation that uh, uh, Pictorius frames as a dialogue between the twins, Castor and Pollux, uh, also got me thinking about twinsy stuff as well in, in a couple of ways, and the fact that there are two of them and then. The third is, is Helen. And, uh, it's said that 
that's because they both come from Zeus. And the idea is that the guy framing this rather dry treatise about what spirits are and what they aren't and mm-hmm. what you can do with them and what you can't isn't really interested in fleshing them out as characters, but wants just to have two voices that are talking to each other. Wow, we've tangented. I've tangented already massively. Why uh, not? Okay. All right. Long walks and short tangents. Brilliant. So what do you think <laughs> then as a broader question, we talk about saints on their saint days and we talked a fair bit about what that is in terms of a ritual calendar mm-hmm. and how that helps orient us in time as well as uh, i guess space in terms of uh, specific churches and things like that or the domains that uh, a saint might rule the green purple red white of the catholic liturgical calendar so how do you think cosmo and daimian and uh, devotion to them or a veneration of them or a marking them in the year affects a cyprian and justina centered approach and vice versa i thought a lot about that with just because the twinsies the the the, the having two mm-hmm. a polarity there and cyprian and justina certainly represent a similar polarity in the practice around the world of justina being this this figure of sanctity and the converting force for the dark cyprian to come over to the blue side of the force and also the idea that he retains it and there's he's kind of trapped in his pre-conversion days in a lot of people's heads of uh, being the powerhouse there that maybe he never gave it up. Some versions of it, he burns the books as soon as he converts. Mm. Other versions, he never burns it or some he eats them. Like, it depends on which part of the world you're or, in. Or literally gives them out to kids. Yeah, like like St. <laughs> Nicholas, like, here, you get a grimoire, you get a grimoire, you get a grimoire. Uh, is your fascination with my forbidden closet of mystery. Yes, exactly, which is, could have done a fool on that one. But the connection there too, I remember this discussion long ago back in the late mid nineties. Wow. Over 20 years ago, (laughs) before my college days, discussing with a a circle of magical friends about the, the tides of the year and what the equinoxes do and how difficult equinoxes are, but equinoxes, the equality of day and light and brings up questions of polarity and twins and day, night, male, female, hot, cold, this, this, especially this kind of graded polarity diametrically opposed Manichaean split that is heavily informing Indo-European Western culture. And so there's something there that they're both interestingly around the equinox there. And that earlier in the year during the spring equinox, you have Jesus' resurrection, which you also have Lady Day. And you have this, the earth is waking up, but Jesus then is wedded to the earth by going into it. It's Mm -hmm. He's penetrating the earth through dead, through death, Mm -hmm. that being hung on the tree allows him to enter hell and come back out and that going into the cave and coming back out that there's also this weirdly sexual metaphor the piercing jesus becomes the woman who is pierced by the sword of longinus so there's a lot of interesting polarities that are happening there as spring and fall and that traditionally yes fairy activity you have may day and south which means november people just gonna be picky there but hallows and may day of being fairy times extreme but that ghost activity poltergeist activity was is heavily connected to the equinoxes and the kind of phenomenology of those events of the weirdness because it means the world is changing dramatically we've gone from one extreme which we can define pure darkness to another extreme that is pure light very few people celebrate the half moon it's not like ooh, what moon is it tonight something give us some you know it's something or other and this idea too that you know the equinoxes are not as celebrated worldwide as actual significant things. You just realize that it's growing still. Mm. So it's to celebrate the equinox, which is an astronomical event, is a much more difficult calculation than just going, 
well, the sun's not moving any further left or right. <laughs> so we, we figured out the cap. We planted that tree 20 years ago and the sun is not moving any more than that tree. So, you know, it is, it's an interesting side of that. But I think the polarity side of that draws into question there. For Cosme Damian, for Cyprian and Justina, who are celebrated together. The only references I find to that May date of Cyprian, he's mentioned alone. Not as Cyprian and Justina. So I find that interesting as well. And there's the thing that we have to bring up, of course, in talking about Cyprian is the confluence, convergence of Cyprian of Carthage and Cyprian of Antioch. That we know Cyprian of Carthage existed, or at least we have historical records referencing him. Yeah. Oh my God, you're using our own book as... <laughs> <laughs> as cheat, cheat. It's, it's like a different kind of <laughs> um, You said that once, notes are, you know, <laughs> smart cheating. But the idea that Cyprian of Carthage, who is a doctor of the church, who is mentioned in the Litany of Saints in the start of a sixth candle mass, yeah. that as it happens throughout Catholic history, in practice, if that's your saint and you don't know that it's Saint Cyprian of Carthage, you're like, yay, sorcery! Right. It's, you know, I remember my classics teacher in college, Peter Meinick, was talking about the structure of the Iliad and the Odyssey, like when those long lists of, and this town was here. And he's like, in oral poetry, you it's not recited from memory in that way. It's checking who's in the room. It's like, out. yeah, it's like, good night, Athens. How are we doing tonight? Right. And, 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 uh, who's from Attica? And you're like, yeah. So there's something there of just the the lists of these saints of everybody's patron saints, the figures, the churches, making sure that it's relative to people and and identifiable to people. But the doctor of Carthage is a doctor of the church. This is you know a title that's not given out easily. Um, it is an ancient saint, and most churches that are named for Cyprian are indeed named for Cyprian of Carthage, not Cyprian of Antioch. It's not just the name, right? On the one hand, you could say, oh, one of them was a you know the cool pagan street sorcerer. Uh, handing out, you know, astral roofies and sending demons after people. And the other one was the boring one that is a church father and was, he's referred to as always talking about God quite a few times, seeking to and thinking of God. But what that results in, how that's portrayed is as a book again, is as a church father who wrote a lot of stuff mm -hmm. and wrote doctrine and explore. And the doctors of the church are people who write doctrine, right? Not just, you know, medics. Right. So he, the, then you get the icon itself, the lithograph that most people are familiar with, the statues yeah. are of Cyprian of Carthage, which conveniently or unconveniently is celebrated September 16th. And there is a tradition in borderland southwestern United States and northern Mexico, and I'm sure into central Mexico as well. But um, Dios de los Ciprianos happens that is, you know, there's 10 days. So if you start at sundown on the 16th, celebrating St. Cyprian of Carthage, you're now building the way up for Cyprian of Antioch. And this basically means that it's over a week-long celebration of the Cyprian-ness of things right. without worrying about which saint is which. This kind of outside-in, and it always seems to be bishops and non-Catholics. Hmm. Um, note the similarities of the people that argue against common practice of like, that Lazarus is not the other Lazarus. You should not be conflating the two or that type of thing. And you're like, okay, fuck off. He's still, he's still healed by grandma of cancer, so I don't care what you say. And, and both repel deep. Yes, like they both do. They refer to as, as Cyprian the martyr as well, and Cyprian the doctor mm -hmm. specifically, who was you know, ever talking and meditating upon God. That's what um, Father Michaelis says in his, his admirable history. So they're already linked. It's not just, oh, we heard that Cyprian from one of them had this thing about demonology and about counter magic. No, they both do, but from very different angles. Which brings up an interesting point about saints too, that in the early days of the church, most saint stories were extremely similar. You had to be a martyr originally for these, the, the holy dead that was there imitating Christ, even in your death. And that there could be a thing here of like the Homeric shout outs that saints weren't necessarily about their individual stories because their stories were so similar, but about their locations and that my town had this martyr 
and I do that. And eventually there's this adaptation, especially after the Golden Legend, where people are learning about saints that are nowhere near them. And so saints, the relics, the, the, the trade and the trafficking and the fraudulent practice of, <laughs> of, of relics uh, in the Middle Ages, which was a huge booming business, mm. taking pieces of the Holy Land with you and pieces of Holy Landers home with you. Or conveniently, I found bones in a cave. It must be a saint. Or getting tattooed, putting, <laughs> ink, putting ink under the skin, despite, despite the Leviticus, the rulings against it. So that you can come back and As say, someone I'm who likes a man who likes man, I'm, I support this ignoring of Leviticus. <laughs> Shrimp and bacon are good. <laughs> yeah. So the, I think that there's something different in the modern perspective, too, of saints that, you know, we choose our patron saints. We choose one for our confirmation names yeah, as opposed to familial names. Like I know in, in, in my family, in many Hispanic families, you name your confirmation name is limited because it has to be from naming patterns within the family. So you don't get the broad picture book of saints that was published in the 60s handed to you and go like, which one do you like? Right. And always being told, I, you know, I wanted to name myself for an angel. And they're like, that's not a, you need a dead person. It's like, whoa, this is truly like some bone licking necromantic stuff. So you picked a dead person who was named after an angel. Yes, exactly <laughs> right. Who is actually about my great uncle. So I have the Muslim angel. Also the geomancing angel, the angel of geomancy. I love this show about me. It's great. Um, <laughs> but okay, so we have this conflation between Cyprian and Cyprian. Which is not a confusion as well. Often framed as, uh, I feel that there's a little implicit, <laughs> like, oh, um, you know, they weren't half idiots in the past thing. And I don't think it's that there was a mistake that no one rectified. No, I think also the history of saints in the early church. It's almost like people are always saying that the church has this devious altercation plan. Yes, it's about power and, and land, but it's not like there's a, our villainous movie plot in my head. I, it's like, this is like when people say like the whole world is plotting against me and the most of the world doesn't care about you. So they're not plotting against you. They're just, it's things happen and they get used. And someone has a devotion to this figure of a pagan magician who is converted by a Christian woman or converted to a different lifestyle, at least, which is a Beauty and the Beast story, as was talked about mm. heavily in, in Cipriano Old World. Pick up your copies, Revelor Press. So the Thecla story, there's other motifs of what this is. It is, you know, in the catalog of folk story. Yeah, it falls within a kind of genre, both in terms of hagiographies sharing their particular beats, uh, but also in terms of working off earlier uh, story formats. Yes. So not just the specific tropes or... Yeah, story beats or scenes, but also the construction, the three-act structure, for instance. The three acts of Paul and Thecla structure. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things going on. I mean, what would an episode be without a rat drinking from the water bottle? So just mentioning it now, that's what that sound is. Rat cave. Yeah. The other side of it, too, that Justina goes through waves of popularity and then kind of pushed to the side again. And Cyprian keeps coming to the fore. It's certainly the Black book tradition does not seem to include mention of Justina much at all. No, which I guess kind of makes sense in mm -hmm. terms of if we think about the mid cycle, he's, we work with, you know, he, he seems to be worked or referenced both pre conversion and post conversion. Mm -hmm. But certainly, if you're going to time as an illusion to a, a black book, then it, which is also a kind of twin scenes, right? Yeah. If you're going to do a black book, then it's going to make more sense that you want the demon names and the, and the rocket fuel mm -hmm. and the forbidden things. You don't want just the invitation. You want the actualization. Mm -hmm. And so Justina goes through, I mean, arguably theologians and priests in homilies that are recorded back through the 1500s are always emphasizing Justina as the important 
emphasis oh, thing there because it's the conversion. And I think of the Brazilian statue of St. Cyprian, which is so interesting because it shows him in the penitent pose, converting to falling to his knees because his evil rape magic does not, um, through which is Belial is the named. I mean, as the son of darkness or as a worthless one, there's certainly become references, but not in the earlier texts. No, that first demon has a heck of a, a CV. It, uh, it, I think it claims to have tempted uh, Adam and Eve. I think it claims to have invented spiky plants at all. Uh, I think it, <laughs> all the Torahs belong to me. Right, right, right. To have taught sin. Uh, it gives, uh, you know, it gives this, this great CV. I find it very interesting that like in the popular myths of Cyprian that arise, especially in Latin America, where because of the book of St. Cyprian arising and being so popular in Northern Spain and therefore all over Iberia and its distribution into the new world, this is St. Cyprian is all over Latin America and becomes incorporated into Afro-diasporic traditions and things like that. So the myths of Cyprian is like we, I remember just like, I think the first time I remember hearing the name Belial was in connection to it, him being the demon that Cyprian hired to go take Justina, just because I've remembered that for 30 years doesn't mean that's what the historical accounts say. No, no. I, I mean, I mean, those are historical accounts as well. It's kind of a, that's true. That's kind of the point, right? But the, the translation... My bad memory is history. Does it's, it, true. Yeah. It's, a, it's a story about history, which, yeah. which is also incorporated. It is also like the Borg. No, I, the demon isn't mentioned specifically, but the, the, the acts are. And by extension, then, the, there's a notion that like, if we have the name of whoever did the, you know, the teaching Cain to slay his brother, the rising up of thorns and thistles, the, the demon that prepares adultery, that uh, teaches people to, 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 you know, to make their bull and to throw down Christ to be sacrificed or even to just divide homes into or shake cities or deceive Eve. Mm-hmm. Then you still get connections then from even that list of CV for things that are attributed to yeah. Baal, to Belial, yeah, yeah. to um, Ashmedai, yeah. to various toppling of empire to pushing Jesus down to all these things that are always pseudo-canonical because it's grimoires or oral stories or things like that. You know, it is a hard thing too that because of the Cyprianic revival in the Anglosphere that has happened and which has also fueled a revival in the Spanish sphere, (laughs) the the Latin American sphere as well because there's more literature being discussions happening. Mm. So you get an increased amount of iconography, of representations, of people talking about this, of interest in it and therefore it spurs the interest back into rare print manuscripts and you saw prices jump of books, the books of St. Cyprian, which come in different colors in Brazil, after even the publication of a few books on Cyprian recently, all of a sudden those things go skyrocketing because mm-hmm. like, well, you could have got it for $200 uh, a while back, but now it's to 2000 because, mm-hmm. you know, this is the hardest to find one, you know, people finding over which color cover is the one that you should have. And do you have any uh, recommendations for Oh, I'm not sharing that. <laughs> Oh, there we go. How about we into it? It's one of them. I have a seven of them. <laughs> no, but also, you know, we have to applaud Latao and, and Maggie for their work on translating a lot of these things. Oh, sure. Um, and yeah. uh, to know also that, you know, I have friends that say, oh, have you read the book of St. Cyprian? And the question is always, which one? <laughs> because the Heptameron is clearly called the book of St. Cyprian in many of Botanica, like those penny pamphlets you get. So the concept of what is a book of Cyprian, and we've talked about this in a larger context, talking about it of both of us in various lectures we've done and a continuing thing that like any book of magic gets known as when a prominent book of magic is written, the author's name can be lent to anything. The fourth book of Agrippa is pseudo Agrippa, right. but is an Agrippa. And therefore all books of magic at that time that are published, well, that must be an Agrippa. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it becomes, it's like there's, 
the, the Xeroxing of things or the Googling of things, which as your wife once explained to me is death for the product, because now your people don't have to have brand loyalty. And it's just like, oh, well, I have a Xerox on my Canon copying machine when things get the, yeah, it's death for business, but good for everybody. That's not the, the mother company. Yeah. But this also means that Cyprian becomes a reference, not necessarily. And if you look at the books of Cyprian as to what they are, it's a collection of folk magic. It's not a consistent narrative or a system. This is why the Heptameron version is actually interesting because the Heptameron is actually a mini system that you can incorporate. It's still... Sure, and you get two things called the Heptameron as well. If we're going to talk twinsies, you get the thing that is also known as the magical elements of Peter de Bano, but you also get the Heptameron of Cyprian, which is not that. And, it, and it, both have been called the book right. of St. Cyprian. Yeah, yeah, probably because someone said, oh, it's the Heptameron. Yeah, I have that. Yeah, and it's, for, it's something to do on every day of the week. Yeah, and strangely incomplete invocations in some of the versions of them of like a lot of ampersands and like cutting off halfway through or like a lot of bad translations into whatever the common tongue is. Yeah, and the instructions in certainly in the, the magical elements of Peter Stabano, a lot of the instructions stay in Latin. It's been in English and then it gives a Latin conjuration, but then it continues in Latin to say like, oh, this is where, you know, shit gets crazy. Uh, this <laughs> is where, you know, the spiritual, what's the Latin for shit? And dude, there's a couple. I mean, Sturcus, you can, you can use. I mean, it's just, you know. I'm a cloaca fan, but that's not the word for shit. It's the sewer though, right? It's sewer and a chicken butt. Guess what? Cloaca, butt street. Okay. So if we go on that, which is interesting because uh, you can see how our topics are very well chosen today, <laughs> but the concept of a magic book as, as, a, and in, I will use the very Mexican term, Cipriano, which is the name of the book is some people call them other things. I always get confused when I can't tell if someone's making something up, <laughs> uh, Cipriani. I'm like, this isn't a restaurant, but. The Cipriani's are so varied in what they are that it is a notebook. It is basically like your collection and it's under the patronage with the stamp on the front of like a prayer to Cyprian yeah. of being the patron of magical books, of being the saint that had magic books and therefore can protect you from the prying eyes of the church coming into you and saying like, no, this is saint magic. Right. And the understanding too, that like the church's attitude and local attitudes towards manipulation of saints towards magical ends is a tricky subject and always suspect too. The local authority as to, you know, uh, have you put something other than just candles and flowers to a saint, you're working magic. And like the idea that praying to St. Christopher to bring your lover back because you put hair next to the candle, that's witchcraft. But just offering a candle and praying for that is not the same. Mm -hmm. That's not witchcraft. And it's so it becomes this, especially in Latin America, because of the Inquisition here, you get a lot of case records where people were reported for witchcraft. And the bishop was like, I'm one bishop and you're 700 miles away. That person's not doing witchcraft. Fuck that case. I'm not going there for that. I'm not going to the backwoods of Nueva Mexico up there to, to try someone for trying to get their cow to make more milk. I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. That's not what I want. If the person has property that I can seize and add to my own <laughs> church, then I'll go. Right. Um, and economic comparative choices. Mm. Um, I wonder if we see the same mechanics going on because we definitely see parallels. Tradition, if we like, certainly practice of attributing a particular collection or a couple of particular collections or the general notion of collecting recipes mm -hmm. together into a book in the Cyprianos or the Cipriani mm -hmm. of, you know, a variety of Northern European places. Um, and, and I'm thinking here particularly, I'm, I'm, I, I pulled this book out of my bag, the, the uh, Mary S. Rustad's uh, Black Books of Elverum which gives us a take on the Norwegian black books tradition where the whole book is set by Bunsbo. You're right. Right. The, yeah. Black, black art books. Right. That they're, which always makes me think is like naughty photography. <laughs> that would but be, that would be bloom. 
<laughs> yes, I guess that's true. Yeah, the whole book is said to be a, a Cyprianus, and there are no specific invocations or even references to Cyprian, hmm. uh, but all of these things from how to add human bone to your gunpowder to be able to shoot animals more accurately, mm -hmm. to how to get rid of toothache, mm -hmm. to a variety of other things, are all considered under his aegis. And that's interesting that I don't think there are a lot of the same actual spells. It's not like they're coming from one Cyprian text that split off into Iberia and Norway. But there is this sense of like, oh, he's the book magic guy. And so, of course, you stamp that on the front. As you say, both for reasons of, of respectability politics and also as the... Especially when you start being able to sell them. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Like those frontispieces of those books, there's some of them are just that frontispiece is then just taken out of one book and put in the front of another and you have another volume. And even when it's a specific collection, as we get with uh, Denigromancia, mm -hmm. which we, we have at least two copies of in terms of a Sloan manuscript in Latin and uh, an English one uh, in the collection of edition manuscript 366. I just wish it wasn't an old English fronted one. Oh gosh, yes. The, the Heptangle Michael Albion MacDonald. I think 1987. Yes, a headache to 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 actually physically read, which perhaps is part of its dark curse. But even that text, right, is is said <laughs> to be the experiments of Roger Bacon mm -hmm. and a certain Turk uh, of uh, that he was um, doing work with in Brazenose College. Al Hazred. So the yeah, right. So the, the there's there's an author of the person that wrote the thing physically. But even then, the patronage of the magic itself is said to be Cyprian's. Which fits into the story that during the US too, that it was a German monk that Cyprian appeared to and said, my book was destroyed. I need you to write this down. Mm. And that the man goes mad and, and in various versions, kills himself, destroys the book again. And it magically re keeps reappearing in, that, in, the, mm -hmm. in the monkery. Like, um, yeah, and it's just like, oh God, get rid of it. He soaks never die. <laughs> But I think this is interesting thing to, if we're going to keep, because obviously Cyprian could be a very long episode for us. It's, mm -hmm. it's been a passion of both of ours and a dispassion of mine as well. Just get tired of it sometimes, right? Not of Cyprian, but of fads and magic, right? Of like something that is, it's the hipster impulse. I'm just saying I'm a hipster, apparently. But uh, like everything, like Justina's waves of popularity and, and, and it's interesting when you get a populace that is not as familiar with certain aspects of Cyprian tradition decrying something that is a genuine Cyprian tradition because it doesn't look like what they know. Right. We've talked about this before, the danger, not just in terms of the arrogance of having, you know, put even a year's worth of research or effort into something and then, you know, claiming expertise and teaching it because when you bump up against something you don't know, there's a, there's a worrying possibility that you might end up making the whole field that you proclaim to love narrower because you don't recognize it. So it can't be a real thing. So it, you actually end up doing a disservice to the tradition and mm -hmm. the people practicing it by doing that. And also with Cyprian, because it's such an inspirational story that we, at this point, we are very well aware that there is a huge conflation with Cyprian of Carthage playing on that. We are very well aware that there is probably no historical Cyprian and Justina, that it is a continuation of devices. But from the other side of it, none of those saints are historical in the sense that you never knew any of them. This is like, I love the discussion in a ritual studies class in college. We watch Princess Di's funeral and people are weeping. She's like, so who is this woman to you? You don't know her. You don't know her at all. You've only ever known her through media. Mm. So why is this so real for you? And the question goes in that lovely chaos magic way of like, does it matter? 
you know, if you're getting something from the story, is it a spirit? I mean, the, the idea that any spirit could appear as whatever it wants, mm-hmm. even if we take it from a pure side and not deception, that one of the Buddha bodies is to be able to appear exactly as to what the person needs to be able to understand the message that needs to be delivered. Mm-hmm. So that you appear in the form that is most pleasing to the person's communicative problems. <laughs> to bypass those certain things. So if I need to come to you as the Virgin Mary, I will come to you as the Virgin Mary. If I'm trying to deceive you and get offerings because, I, oh, it's me, I'm your grandma. And it's the wolf for a little writing that that can happen too. Right. I don't know, I, I, it reminds me of a conversation I just had with someone when talking about details of possession and his his talk about it was like, it's the people that never get possessed that certainly like to talk about all the details of possession. Um, and similarly, people that don't deal with spirits a lot like to talk about all the matters in which spirits can come. And it's like, sometimes it's just like, just put the offering out and does your life getting better? Then keep doing it. <laughs> you know, angel or God, whatever it may be, which is the lovely heresy in Cyprian, mm. which, you know, I think that's a interesting side with heresy because it ties heavily into Manloichi, because I'm realizing we we can spend hours talking about Cyprian, but at some point we've got to insert these other topics oh, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we've been meditating around other saints and even spirits, one might say, attached around him. So that's, yeah, that feels very apt. So what can we say about <laughs> Mr. <Mister Benedict? laughs> well, the connection here for those that know and don't know is uh, Manloichi um, uh, is the teacher of St. Cyprian in Brazilian tradition. Since the advent of Kimbanda um, being named as such after the creation of Umanda or the codification of Umanda by Moraes and Semorais in the early 20th century, its roots go back further than that for both of those traditions, of course. But the spirit known as Mr. Midnight is said to be the teacher of Cyprian. And uh, Eshelman Loichi's lore is pretty in- intense and developed and and is a is a kind of the, as we joked around earlier, the, the evil librarian Eshu. This is the spirit that is one of the generals of Omolu, of death. It is the darkness of death. So death uh, manifests and organizes its legions through Eshu Kaveira and Eshu Menloichi. The, the line of souls is organized through those two generals. And Kaveira is the physical remains of death, and Menloichi is the darkness of death. What happens when you close your eyes and you are going into blackness? As such, he is the blackening of anything, and he's heavily tied to the eclipse at Jesus' death. Um, the, the darkness from the sixth to the ninth hour, the ripping of the rending of the veil where the Shekhinah comes out and the kind of democratization of, of God power amongst the planet, mm-hmm. which is also interesting because when Jesus dies, there's no God on earth. So you get the Salvador Gloria, the, the, the Holy Saturday where Jesus is, is gone. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because that's when new Catholic converts are brought in. They're brought in during a place where there is no Jesus. So the first point where they receive the mass as a Christian is on Easter morning when God comes back to earth resurrected out of the earth right. that they are in the darkness being born again yeah and that kind of something in tierra mythology that goes with that that jesus the body of jesus that's there mainly she ties into that and that he steals the breath of god this last breath that comes out because it is the darkness that is over everything and distributes it amongst the issues mm-hmm. and so jesus is bringing the good pagans out of hell after his death but mainly she is distributing the breath of God into hell. He is organizing his own communion. Mainly, she has a lot of ties to Catholic imagery. It's one of the few issues that really likes bells and rosaries and things like that because all is power. Where So you get the concept of heresy. There's no such thing as blasphemy, just different forms of power. The only blasphemy is to say that there's no such thing as divinity or, or spirit. Everything past that, mainly she grabs. And the idea that you have the relationship between light and darkness there, that polarity of like it's dark when it should be light. We're talking about midnight that wherever he comes it's midnight the blackening of the sky and the blackening of the page with ink 
So mainland Shia becomes very tied into transmission of knowledge, just like the Shekhinah coming out and the, how do you read a page, but the eclipse upon it and the eclipsing of it with ink. And I think that ties into lore with Cyprian, even up in Mexico, where there's no mention of Eshel Mayanoichi, but Cyprian is described as the saint who bleeds ink. Mm-hmm. Um, and this outpouring then ties into local myths of Cyprian eating his books mm-hmm. of like, they're not in my house. They're not here. But knowing that if he eats them, he will have ingested that knowledge, which is then a communion that you've made your, your spirit book, your Libra spirit, that it becomes your, a blasphemous host. Oh, and yeah. And, and there's a long running textual amulet tradition of doing exactly that or of washing. Was it pica? Uh, and you eat things that you're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's often the term given to you know pregnant ladies that start eating clay and things like that. But the point being, not that they're not meant to, but that actually often there are there is there is some mineral um, benefit. Yes, to, to doing that, the you know listening to the body is helpful, despite uh, the cultural context. Keep your appendix; it'll help you digest grimoires. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> there's definitely traditions of washing, say the gospel. Uh, you know, the idea of. In the beginning, there was the word. Mm-hmm. The word is so important. The word is written on this page. I'm going to wash the ink off this page and use that for something. Yes. Or I'm going to take that actual page and fold it up real small and put it in a thing. We're familiar with that, you know, written charms, but the idea of, of manipulating the ink of written charms mm-hmm. and of the page of them. And certainly in, in parchment era, where you have the concept of virgin parchment being that it's never been written on a part because right. you can write a Bible pass on a parchment and then wash the parchment and the ink will be in whatever you put it in. So if you're drawing a pentacle, in a certain hour, it can be sat in water and you can rub the ink off and the skin can be used for whatever you want after, which is the whole notion of virgin parchment of this should not have touched ink before, not that it hasn't had its hymen broken. But I find all that, the eating of ink, you know, the squidding of, of magic. I'm a squid person by nature. Al's more of an octopus person by nature. Octopi are probably octopuses. Actually, I think you corrected me on that, right? It's octopuses. I mean, they're all, they're all valid. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> there are not eight ways to skin a cat out. <laughs> um, Octopuses is, yeah, is arguably that. Octopodes. Octopodes is pretty much only used in uh, descriptions of its own lack of use. Uh, if you ever want to buy, like, change the conversation topic, mention octopuses. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, most of them are, you know, pretty solitary in nature anyway. So you ain't an octopus for more. Is a, clearly. You've digested yeah. Wikipedia. What I like about octopuses and ink in this particular context is the idea of the the, the pseudomorph. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Of spitting ink, not just as a cloud that obscures thing, but making a double of yourself that fools someone so that you can dissipate the ink jet blanch maneuver of, uh, of spitting something with a high mucus content that looks vaguely octopus-like or squid-like, then changing color rapidly and then jetting and then legging it, uh, ape-legging it. Which you make me think of is the heptapods mm-hmm. in arrival of mm-hmm. not necessarily to duplicate themselves, but to duplicate your, a language is a duplication of self. You're duplicating a thought that you have trying to convey. So this idea of written language in that way, quite interesting, like the ink gets manipulated. And their own um, kind of magic circle. Yeah. Heptapods, heptamarins, sevens upon sevens upon sevens. In the seventh month, that is not seven. Yeah. The seventh month, that is nine. How appropriate for Kimanda then? Um, <laughs> so... Mainlochi has a lot of stories about him. There are many things that he does. He's one of the leaders of the line of souls. There's magic ascribed to him. He is very heavily tied to the nature of the torturing magic that is listed in the book of St. Cyprian in Latin America, the black cat bone spell, torturing of animals in this way. I'm not saying that that's the only thing Mainlochi does, but the magic ascribed to Cyprian in Brazil gets very heavily tied to Mainlochi, who is considered to be a wonderful advisor, but extremely he lacks the humor of some other issues and is 
discipline and stricture, which the Das Amas line generally is. He is his personal story in that kind of umbandista, like he must have been a physical person first, is that he was a baron that lived in Minas Gerais and was married to a young girl. And when he had sex with her on the wedding night, she didn't bleed, so she wasn't a virgin. And he went and killed the whole family. And fine, didn't kill her, killed the whole, her whole family for telling him that he, she was a virgin, which she wasn't. And then she delivers his baby and takes her back in. And there's just different ver- divergent stories from there. He's always a dick. But the reason I bring that up is that not only is Enoichi viewed as being a, a not nice person in his life, that is then working off that negative karma in an Umbandist kind of perspective from a, from Kimbanda the Dice, this is less important than the fact that he's not working on His nature is tied into this blackness, this death concept that is there. But that in Latin America specifically, those who work with Cyprian have a certain reputation. Cyprian himself is not considered a nice saint. Mm. He has a, a, an almost humorless saint. Um, and this is because if you look at the books of magic ascribed to him, none of this is lovely magic. No. It's incredibly, this is the kind of, you know, I think, I think anybody who works with plants long enough realizes that herbalism is not that nice either, but there's this lore of it being, uh, oh, you're in touch with the earth and there's hip, this kind of hippie-ish mirage of it, but you're ripping plants apart for their blood and killing things as well as planting things. And, but it's, it's very engaged with natural cycles, which isn't necessarily pretty. And Cyprian has, there's no differentiation between plant, animal, and mineral. It's all ingredient to get you what you want. And that side of it, of supplanting compassion for, or caretakerness of the earth and putting that to God and saying, let God figure that out. I am becoming commander of this thing. Cyprian's children, people who work with Cyprian are not usually considered to be nice people. Mm-hmm. The saint does not encourage niceness. This is why the balance with Justina in, in the Curanderismo traditions in Mexico and even Peru that work. Not that Peru heavily does anything with Justina. Cyprian is a, a median point between the right and the left sides of the mesa. Right. But that there needs to be something else that grounds you, which in Kimanda we would say kind of mayoral concept, mm-hmm. but that in Mexico, Justina is necessary to kind of balance out the cat to a tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The concupiscence that's going to happen, this darkening of the soul mm-hmm. constantly. Catholic concupiscence there. I don't understand Protestant concupiscence, but the how to not be a dick. Mm-hmm. And a lot of experience with Mainoichi children in Kimbanda. And it, there are a lot of common lack or a, a, a thing of taking oneself too seriously. And especially the people that are attracted to Mainoichi and Cyprian work. It's, it is actually seems to me like I've seen a lot of fights in the Cyprian groups as of like, no, this is the one thing. It becomes this thing of like, oh, okay. If, you, if we all spend time doing our magic as opposed to fighting on Facebook, I guess that's the mantra for this podcast sometimes is stay off Facebook, mm-hmm. um, except the folk necromancy group, um, <laughs> because we heavily moderate it. <laughs> Main is syncretized with Hale mm-hmm. um, or associated with Hale. We, I mean, I, syncretization is a weird thing. There are pulpos to Main Loichi that actually refer to him as Hale the Main Loichi, which is interesting, Hale of Midnight, but still talk about him as an issue. So a seed, the fewer, the desk, and the somewhat increasing temperature room to what ties Hale in other than the Cyprian with Manuichi thing? What, how does Hale fit into this constellation of Cyprian and Anity? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, for a start, the structures uh, are very, very similar. And that seems that we don't just counterpart individual spirits, but we also counterpart their, their hierarchical arrangement as it's found in, as we now know, the Kubikino Solomonis de Secretis, which later, you know, becomes the, the Verum. So again, Hale is a counterpart to Sergalath, and both have rulership of eight underspirits. Just so you made me think of the, in talking about Solomon there, like another patron of books of oh, yeah. magic that's just like, it's a biblical fictor, 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 
wow, figure mm -hmm. that Victor, something that controls demons. And therefore, it's great to ascribe any magical book to him. Right, right. Uh, his wisdom is God-given. And that wisdom is the wisdom of the stars, the plants, the stones, uh, the metals that he's also specifically trapping spirits and fathering spirits, yes. fathering <laughs> them, being replaced by one mm -hmm. for a hot minute before he, he treks all the way back and uh, kicks the guy in his skin out or in his shape out. So similar, we have not a book of Solomon, but books similarly to book of Cyprian, but it is books of Cyprian, which all of this is we're talking about to people talk about Solomonic tradition or Cyprianic tradition. Oh, yeah. It is not a, mon a monolith. It is traditions that have co co convergent evolution. Is that what it is? When there's a source because it's a biblical or a saint, whatever your lore is, it's going to arise in different continents. But okay. So going back to Hale and the organization as of the Verum. Yeah. The so, so we have Hale under, ultimately under Astaroth in, in the Verum construct, which is interesting because that's one of the few chiefs, the three of the three chiefs uh, in the LBA rather than the LBS system that actually turns up in any of these uh, Cyprianus collections that we find in Northern Europe. That's one of the, the few names. I mean, you get, you know, Lucifer turns up a fair bit and Belzebuth turns up, but Astaroth is the one that seems to. And versions of that name that seem to crop up more regularly, which is again tied back to, you know, the Testament and other forms of, uh, of Asherah and, and, and informs a bunch of conversations about where is that a, a deletion job is done, a, a hatchet job is done on the wife of God and those kinds of conversations that have been gone into in far more detail. Hale himself is specifically around writing, around letters. And by extension, that letters, that characters starts to mean seals and sigils and glyphs and also the understanding of them. So crucially, the idea of teaching and transmission and reception. And certainly in practice, when you talk to people that are actually working with this spirit, the emphasis is heavily on ink. And that was certainly my experience long before I knew anything about Kimbanda was that uh, Hale um, uh, stood forth as, as one who would help consecrate the inks, and specifically consecrate the inks to produce a personal grimoire, uh, a book of spirits, uh, which is found in, you know, Ratzel, has a bunch of stuff around, not just how to make magical inks, but also the necessity of some kind of magical ink. So, so the, the overall approach to doing this kind of work, rather than a specific, it's right seeing rather than a particular dogma of a particular recipe. We get the same with the excellent book, The Art of Magic, where, you know, 1567, these two guys start getting their, their dream of, of Solomon initially, and then a variety of other dead magicians cropping up. Uh, Cyprian is not included, interestingly, although as, as my friend and colleague Phil has pointed out, uh, Cyprianic's material does crop up in the same kinds of working books and extracts of grimoires and full grimoires that also heavily, clearly influence or are part of the milieu that the excellent book is also coming out of. And the excellent book crucially just says, you know, you need, you need colored ink uh, and it, it lists the colors, but there's nothing around, you know, that they're, you know, made in some super fancy way mm -hmm. on the particular feast day of this saint, uh, while walking backwards and reciting the Lord's prayer backwards and, uh, you know, with the, well, that's the part two. <laughs> so that's how you write grimoires, right? It's just this part two is the practical part that you didn't know and you've been doing it wrong for years. Right. Excellent book of the art of magic. It is, as long as I've known you, it's been a, a topic that, that you brought up. I think, is that what you spoke about at the day of conjure at 
you brought it up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then I think you did another piece on it at uh, Over Brooklyn as well, too. And I think I think I'm officially allowed to say this. I've chatted to Peter Lucas about this before. We're, we're hoping uh, Phil and I's version of the excellent book will be out later this year or maybe the start of next year. But hopefully, uh, as soon as possible, we are. We're nearing the finish line, the rounds of editing and then finding new material and wanting to include that and then editing that and then finding new material in between editing it are finally coming to a point of like, no, it, it has to actually sort of active blogs are for of like, oh, yeah. something on 70, page 72. Right. But yes, thank you. That was what I was hoping to get out without getting up. But you were able to get to it. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. So, so very excited to be working with Scarlet Imprint. Uh, very, very excited to be working with, with Phil Legard's His Lockfall blog is, is great to check out as is. It is. It is a great blog. The hosts of all of his amazing experimental music and his musicology as well of studying the processes of these things and how it relates to occult philosophy and magical practices. And not just in terms of, you know, abstract theories of harmony and things, but also how that ties to landscape and, you know, things that get called psychogeography and, <laughs> and, 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 and all of those natures. So I'm really excited to be doing that. And hopefully that will be a thing that will be facing us very shortly. Wonderful. Is it often, because we've talked about this before too, and I think it's just interesting in the concept of, and perhaps can bridge into Libra Spiritae, the notion of consecration through use as opposed to consecration through consecration right. and use. Bootstrap. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that if a book is saying, here's the ink, I don't have to list anything about it. The important thing is the color, multiple colored inks, which is a sign of you would already have to know how to make inks of those colors, which, you know, if you're grinding down precious minerals or, or obtaining things, which is the notion here of like synthetics are prized by many cultures that like, doesn't matter that it's no longer the the substance it's there or that it's toxic it is the bright version of that color and i want it mm -hmm. um the the red letter day mm -hmm. of like how do we appear have this here to so much so that uh the the aztec phrase of the uh, mexica phrase of we need the red we need the black which is a specific reference to the two colors of ink that they used to represent different things in the codices so they painted things but the average inks were red and black over a white page that was amate paper that is dark in nature that was then whitewashed and then red and ink was used on it. So it's the concept of ink itself that we need both, that the contrast between red and black knowledge was important, which is also ants in my head when I was little. Like, oh, it's something there. I have no idea if it is. So was the red used as a rubric? I don't know. I would need to look more into the, the actual uh, material anthropology of that. I know because like a lot of the codices are post-conquest. Mm. And so what was done before the conquest is one thing. And a lot of those books were destroyed. And then 40 to 80 years later, monks start asking questions. So um, amazing amounts of lore are still intact because it's not like the empire went anywhere. Mm -hmm. It was largely decimated and was continuing to be decimated through disease and, and um, enslavement mm -hmm. um, and, and occupation. But I don't know. I, I, I hope to be able to amend that in a footnote um, or an amended blog article like I encourage <laughs> every author to do. I was wrong on this page. I'm sorry. It wasn't just a typo. I get the sense that the multicolored inks are in part for including planetary press. Mm -hmm. I guess think that's, they're definitely in those colors. Yeah. And when they are specifically listed, which is most of the time, they don't usually just say, oh, just get a bunch of different colors. Mm -hmm. They say, get these seven colors, which do correspond mm -hmm. to the, and then another one for like when you're not doing planetary stuff. So I think it's pretty clear that's what's going on because the sources we're getting it from are heavy, heavily planetarily based. And again, with, with the excellent book, for instance, it's just said that you need a, a book of calls. It's more important that you call than which particular calls you use. Thank you. That's lovely. I like this. Because partly you'll also, if you're doing it right, you already made contact with something 
that will be telling you this is the call you should use. Emphasis on spirit contact and, and practice. Imagine. Yeah. Wow. But if I haven't put it on Instagram, Al. No, one of the, I had a, one of the first times in working with parchment in college for an art class, one of my projects for the semester was seven pieces of goat parchment that I had made all the inks of uh, through precious stones with Latin heptameron invocations and the seal at the top. Mm-hmm. So my, my memory of doing Venusian malachite was like intense. And you didn't poison yourself or anyone else? No. Good. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe that's why I'm crazy now, <laughs> but finding out that there were better ways to do this later and like, wow, this is not easy. My hat's <laughs> off to monks who, you know, went it, it, like the, the image makers in Tibetan practice. So there's a, at the Rubin Museum here in New York, there's mm. a, a room that describes what making tankas are like. And there was often criminals that made them and trained because they worked off negative karma. So they'd done an act and then they trained under someone and you had seven to nine years on average before you would die from mercury poisoning because you had to lick the brush, which was dipped in mercury, dipped in the ink and applied and the burning yak fat added fumes that was heated mercury. Then, So you have all these different things going in to at somewhere around six or seven years, you're going to start to go mad and you will die after making tankas. So the, this idea of the madness of ink makers, of the people who are making divine images yeah. and uh, just the toxicity of that. Yeah, yeah. And that's an inherent part of it. The, you get the same with uh, with jewelers even today. Oh, with particular kinds of stone setting, particular kinds of engraving and and and, and faceting. The use of mercury in in some Afro-Diasporic traditions of and the heating of it and what that does in small spaces is like it's, it's not good for you. Right. In addition to grinding up different bones and powders and herbs that should not be aerosolized in any form right. whatsoever if you want to value your lungs and your mucous membranes. So that's what apprentices are for. <laughs> You're young. You'll shake it off. <laughs> Have you had children yet? Good. Okay. Um, is there any attribution as to what hail is meant to mean? Because there, it is a common last part, as evidenced by an earlier Google search on a certain <laughs> esoteric archives for any additional mentions of right. Mikhail, Raphael. Yeah, all the angels. Yeah. There's been some research on how there might be a particular angel, Hayat, spelled in a variety of ways because of... Because vowels are invisible in Hebrew and therefore we can add as many as we want. Hey, 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 Yeah. So there is an extent to which it looks pretty. I like the idea that it's the, it's the cutoff uh, suffix of, of all the other stuff. But no, I've not seen a convincing articulation of, of what, it, what it means. So mm. not, although the, there are a bunch of references to where that might crop up as a spirit and may or may not be the same spirit. <laughs> so in, inconclusive. It is inconclusive. <laughs> inconclusive, yeah. It is, it is a tenebrous. Okay, so hail main loitri Cyprian. I mean, we've actually talked a fair amount of Libra Spiriti, or at least grimoires and magic. Having just finished your fourth course, fourth book course, can you give a, a nod to the what is meant by spirit book? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. A little bit more properly than just a grimoire. Well, it's specifically listed by whoever writes uh, of magical ceremonies, the, 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 the main uh, talkiest and most sort of like practical the treatise that isn't a full system of magic. It is talking about what you need to do when you're doing various rituals. So Pseudo Agrippa, uh, who, whoever writes that. Pseudo is a terrible first name. Yeah, right. Says for a start that uh, a book of spirits is used by people who mainly summon evil spirits or unclean spirits. So it's already specifically linked to the practices of the, the, of, the of, of, you know, what uh, Jake likes to call the other magicians with, with capital O, uh, othering. Mainly it says, this is what it looks like. Here's how you make it. You should have the image on, on one side of the page. You should have the character on the other. You should have the oath 
Above that, you should have the office of the spirit, what it does, who it works under, the timings that it works best to, the allocation of what star it works under or what star you work under to work with it. Mm. So it's not the same as saying everyone has to have a planetary correspondence, but it is saying there are times when a particular planetary influence or virtue is useful for doing mm -hmm. this work, which I think is a, a useful distinction. The main things it talks about, there is a perfunctory bit at the end about how to actually use it in, in terms of the order or the methodology, um, which is less solid than a single the Solomonic method, which I think is worth pointing out as well. The main thing is about that it offers two methodologies for consecrating the thing, for building it and consecrating it. So there's what it is, it's virgin parchment, it should have the characters and oaths and maybe even images of these spirits in it. The two main methods are either that you conjure each one at a time, uh, which uh, is, is referred to as the longer process, because you, you make your circle, you summon the spirit, it puts its hands on the book and swears on it that it'll, you know, it'll turn up uh, and, and that this is your, this is your pact. With, with but even as a hand out. the spirit. Right. Okay. So there are bits and pieces where they say that, that the hand will actually like make the mark on the page. Mm. And thus there's the idea of a signature of, of revealed, yeah, of revealed seals or signatures. There's also some cool tech about you should uh, tie the book up and throw it out of the circle and then like haul it back. Cable to it back in. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, which which are in. Yeah, spirit, 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 spirit. <laughs> right, right. It's very, uh, it's a little bit Ghostbusters-esque. The other method, which <laughs> yeah, is, is referred to as the easier method, is to, in short, take it to a midnight crossroads and do a truncated version of the conjuration where you just list each spirit. <laughs> I like the way they think. Right. Then you bury it. And also, crucially, you have to include images on the front, on the inside front cover and on the inside back cover, particular images that ensure that only the spirits that you've written in there and that you've called in that big litany of, you know, taking class register turn up. And there are various other provisos of drawing the circle around it when you bury it, drawing it again when you exhume it and ensuring that only those spirits that you've asked in won't go. Over the course of three days, they're meant to turn up in their own time and, uh, mm. and, and swear on the book. And then you can just go and like, harvest it. And that's referred to as an easier method, even though it's, you know, perhaps less laborious than doing all the conjurations again for every spirit, mm -hmm. but it has its own uh, risks, I guess mm -hmm. one would say, uh, and its own protocols. And that's the bulk of what the fourth book or the, 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 the treatise of magical ceremonies within the collection called the fourth book of occult philosophy has to say about the book of spirits. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. The permutations of that use that I have seen in over the years and different expressions that may not necessarily know that they're working with that reference in that way, but the kind of combination of both sides of doing the conjurations or doing a bunch of conjurations, but there is a start where you announce, here's my litany, I'm going to call all these and it's not done until you have called all of them. And then there's a closing litany of the same thing, mm. oftentimes midnight crossroads to kind of seal it so that the devil of the crossroads comes and this is your, this is when it's revealed who your patron might be, mm. or after you've called all of the, uh, I've seen people do, I, when I say people, I mean two, I know two magicians, <laughs> uh, the, who work together, curious that, that have, uh, done it with, uh, Solomonic, uh, and by that, I mean, uh, 72, mm -hmm. the, the classic 72, the leisure um, of Solomon. Yes. The. Ars Notoria 72, first, second chapter or whatever it is. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, that uh, after conjuring all of those, that then the the king that you are supposed to work with will reveal itself in like the, your personal court. If we borrow the kind of uh, Aphrodisiac tradition of what spirits are around for you most affinity-wise or 
in line with your task. Right. And this is also present in the fourth book in talking about uh, several methods of evoking unclean spirits. And so that method of, you know, call, constrain, et cetera, et cetera, license, mm-hmm. uh, whatever order those happen in, because there are several, emphasizes heavily authority and, and hierarchy, not just in terms of you have to use this name to get this spirit to do what you want, but also that you should be looking towards the particular manifestation of that authority mm-hmm. when you do this stuff, which is, you know, it starts to sound a lot more like who turns up for you, mm-hmm. who stands up for you. Yeah. The other thing it brings up too is lineage packs of the accounts in the Caribbean, especially of people who have done all the conjurations at some point. And then if you are their student, they can consecrate the whole book for you very quickly because they've already done all the work. So then those spirits recognize the packs that your ritual grandfather or great grandfather made. And therefore it's a very different thing to do the shortcut because you have been training with someone for eight years and you've never done the conjurations yourself personally, mm-hmm. but now they hand you a book and say, by everybody that I've conjured over all these years, here is your book. Right. And that type of thing, which is less likely in classical European grimoireology of the, of the, the high Renaissance and later because of the secrecy of things and not necessarily, we don't know what was done, but the Caribbean certainly has exposed a kind of lineage me- methodology there that makes sense of like, well, that old man in the woods can teach you and you go there and, 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 and follow that. And conversely, if we're talking about personalized spirits, there's a ton of practices in the fourth book and in a variety of things called Agrippas or Agrippa teaching necromancy or, or other kinds of, of texts like that, which are probably drawing from aspects of, of what got, uh, of the opera, which was, you know, a bunch of things attributed to Agrippa yeah. uh, culminating around after his death and as his reputation as a black magician is also, you know, uh, bubbling up to the surface and, and converting and being, you know, his status being literally denigrated in shadow lengthening across all of Europe. As, uh, as Faustus puts it, that uh, you would generate like, the name of the spirit that you were mainly working through your personal diamond through astrological means. Mm-hmm. And then once you had that name, you could also, in a variety of ways, turn that, those letters into a seal mm-hmm. and from that seal into an image and also certainly from the means to conjure it so that it appears and, and will be your go-to mm-hmm. patron or indeed a variety of techniques around deciphering or generating the name of the spirit of that particular operation mm-hmm. or the spirit of the soul of the world at this time when you're doing this thing or the particular intelligent president of the planet which rules this working at this time. Which is shout out there that that is something that back on the Spiritus Mundi list, Christopher Warnock used to, mm-hmm. to go heavily into that. And I know that when you do a, a natal chart reading with him, he will calculate Oh yeah, his major uh, reading as well, which is, uh, you know, a, a, a form of just looking at the relevant houses of, uh, you know, uh, what's, what's relevant for someone with a magical practice, uh, will also include the, 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 the specific name of your, uh, yeah, your natal angel and mm-hmm. sometimes gets called. It's a, it's a big thing, uh, it seems for Renaissance magicians and that putting that in context makes so much more sense. The idea of like the secrecy, the like having to rely on your own practices, mm-hmm. you know, having to, to do that stuff rather than. You know, that seems to happen at least as often. And when we're talking about the magic of books and the books of magic, it seems to happen as much that precisely because of Libra Spiritum, if you open it, has all that like Sorcerer's Apprentice stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is, you aren't meant to flip through them. You're meant to have registers and seals. Yes. Which I think is, is, it, it is referring to like particular ribbons, particular bookmarks. Mm-hmm. So you know exactly where everything is. So you're not flipping through it. Opening that book should be the setting of an old. Yeah. Right. That's. The, there's literally a notion that the spirits will get out mm-hmm. and do terrible things that one of the main stories about why Agrippa is so terrible is that he leaves a book out and one of his apprentices opens it and is killed by it 
And then then follows this kind of weekend at Bernie's style cover up where he summons the spirit back to possess the dead body to wander around the marketplace to give him an alibi before it drops dead in front of everyone nowhere near his house. <laughs> um, weekend at Bernie's. The I saw a fantastic design for a, a spirit book that had the center parchment area, which was all a specifically uterine calf, which is highly prized in Jewish practice mm. because the notion of an unborn skin must manifest something. It's even closer to the heavenly pure potential. Yeah. And um, it's also very soft and its pores are very tight. But the book in the center was just the seal and the character. The So the outside, it was like an equilateral cross that when you opened it, it stacked on itself. And there was the inf astrological information was on one side and another book that was there with corresponding bookmarks of what you're talking about. So when you open it up, it was this crossroads with talismans and everything around it. Idealized. This was a plan for a book. I've never actually seen it, but you know, Hey, maybe I'll make it one day. Maybe you will make it. Um, but the idea that there were five books basically that were surround or four books surrounding the central book, which was literally only the seals and the characters. So that when that was opened, that was the spirit incarnate and that the spirit, the other information was provided around and there were corresponding pages that you could go through. So there was no flipping. There was no mistaking anything. And that the particular plans for this were embedded into a very ornate glass table that only had the center part of the book exposed. Mm -hmm. So you could lay out all your research material so that if you spilled something on it, that it would not mm -hmm. ruin it. But whether or not the seal got destroyed, the spirit was still in the book. So if you spilled something on that, but you needed it exposed. So there was this kind of donut square nice. that had the middle book exposed. And it was a really lovely idea. Let's make it. Um, <laughs> uh, I, it always brings up that kind of warlock thing of like, if I just pronounce the name of God backwards, it's going to, what is this going to do? I would like to start with Jet, because we also almost got into that when we were like, oh, it's also, because you were saying it's also Black Amber, which is a super cool name for a superheroine as well. So I thought, I mean, generally what we do is we like list off things that the stone does and then talk about how they might relate to each other in terms of, of practice and historiola and so on. Gigantic. Uh, as it's as it's referred to as and uh gosh you know snakes get a really hard deal in lapidaries you know <laughs> there's so few things that are like oh you know this is when you want to make friends with a snake or this is when you want to talk to snakes no no it's all it's all about dispelling them it's all about driving them away and interestingly jet well i, I think it's interesting that there's a lot of stuff about jet being on fire and it being used as a as an incense which i think is is, is interesting in terms of what we think of as typical and atypical or usual or unusual incense ingredients and, or, and, 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 and the very fact of setting stones on fire is pretty cool. So yeah, it is said that jets when on fire drives away snakes and by extension, all of that other stuff that is often connoted by dispelling snakes, it dispels hysteria, for instance, it destroys devils. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of stuff about snakes and evils or uh, or false friends or those kinds of things. And interestingly, it destroys enchantments as well, which I think is the possible easiest line in terms of talking about jet and devil's dung and Cyprian is about counter magic and not just counter magic, but like aggressive counter magic, uh, of, of not just protective. Oh, you know, they tried to do something and their spell failed, but like they tried to do it and it exploded in their faces. <laughs> I mean, jet is interesting because there's the, I mean, it's, it's, a form of wood, right? It's 
fossilized wood that then become uh, high pressured through either uh, carbon compression through salt water or through fresh water, which makes harder soft jet, which I always find fascinating that mm -hmm. the, the water changes the density. That is interesting in a lot that there's hard and soft jet and that jet is gains our, our, a lot of our modern sensibilities of it does come from Victorian revival of it um, because yeah, yeah. The, the, as mourning jewelry and its association with the dead and the necromantic rights of the common housewife. And also, there is a connection for me in the sense of breaking enchantments and ending spell, specifically because in one of the places that you find jet in Europe is, yes, of course, England has a huge jet dash, which is the, S, the western end of the world for people, right? And that Santiago de Compostela is famous for its jet stash, its jet deposit. And Santiago de Compostela is the end of the world. It's the setting sun. It's the, it is the most popular pilgrimage route because Rome and Jerusalem are so far away. So the, the, the pilgrimage route of St. James in medieval times, uh, which started in France, goes through Basque country in northern Spain, Galicia, the, the area where the book of St. Cyprian was most notably, most popularly uh, distributed um, in northern Spain there. And then all the way to the edge of the Iberian Peninsula, which was considered the end of the world. And it's the setting sun. So it's the scallop shell of the pilgrim. I was going to say, is it, is it used for pilgrim badges, to your knowledge? Is it, is it covered uh, in that I, way? No, the, the scallop shell and the gourd are always the way that the pilgrimage is acknowledged. But the right. fact jet is there is a way of kind of, yeah, not necessarily badge, but there does seem to be some connection of it being parallel. And that's where the sun goes into the Western Ocean. And that is where your spells will be buried. They will be no more because of it. So jet is a token from that thing that it's that the sun's some lore or local lore of it's the sun scorching the earth at one point because the oceans were different or something i can't remember the exact thing but that it does deal with scorched earth being too close to the sun at that at that western edge of the of the world i mean also like turkey Poland, like i think uh, uh chile and and uh the anti southern andean mountains in, in south america are all famous for it. and certainly england was very well known for it and the anglo-saxon loved them since that and I think the timeline was interesting about that of just that our good friend Liber Wikipedia go into a fairly extensive history of jet use and saying like it fell out of fashion by the third century AD in Roman Britain and like didn't really come around again as a big thing until the Victorian era. Right, right, right. Where Whitby, it goes crazy. And, uh, yeah. you know, Whitby being the, the so goth that Dracula tried to go there is already, you know, a great place for something so black and also so light so that you could wear a ton of it. And it takes a carving pretty well, I'm told. It's very soft. So, I mean, it takes to carving very well, but it doesn't, it can shatter very easily too. Not mm -hmm. soft, but brittle from what, you know, my, my experience of it. But then again, maybe hard versus soft are two different things, but often rosaries and things like that. Because, I mean, it looks like black glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the kind of Saturnine office of monks, right? So the... For sure. Uh, like the Benedictine cross is always lacquered in black, you know? It's, there's these carryovers that are so interesting. There's also a lot of stones that deal with, you know, the most common things are like eyesight or teeth as well, right? And um, I think, and I think the easiest answer is that those were really painful for most people for most of human history, right? Especially once the supplies of sugar and sugary things get more circulated, but the actual improvement in dentistry doesn't. Do you think there's other emblematic meanings of things with teeth? I mean, specifically jet is said in, in decoctions of wine. 
to heal toothache and it's, it's steeped in water to strengthen gums. Now, obviously, I, I don't want to unpsychologize. I guess I don't want to, you know, make those mythic and say that by gums, they're actually referring to, I don't know, the, 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 the foundations of the fecund earth and the coming of the sun in, 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 in spring or anything like that. Because clearly it was like, okay, this is what you actually use for actual, like, you know, physic. Uh, but do, do, you, do you come across many examples of teeth um, also, things that are good for teeth also having analogous, uh, more, shall we say, magical uh, qualities? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's more just curiosity from which while you're talking about it. I mean, I think the interesting thing of jet similarity to coal, it's not mm-hmm. coal, but it was an anthracite is the substitute for jet. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as imitation and that glass is used to imitate it and certainly the the quality of what a tooth is like, the hardness mm-hmm. of a tooth and it, the brittleness when a tooth starts to get rotten of similar to jet, which, you know, like you said, it carves easily, but it, it shatters because it's brittle. It, it's not, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't get fine details in the carving process. So there's something interesting there about like the parallel to what teeth are made of and what they feel like. I think I also, yeah. it's interesting because teeth are warm. They're not cold, right? So you touch a tooth, you can feel its warmth. And jet is warm to the touch. It's not glass. Glass is cold, but jet is traditional warm. It's one of the ways for people, if you're calm and you can feel it, like you can tell it is in cut glass to look like jet versus actual jet because jet will be warmer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just things that come to my mind there on that side of it. And also the side of it that anything with tar in it or coal mm-hmm. can be very good for any type of surface skin inflammation, infection, things like that. I wonder if chewing coal or, you know, the kind of artisanal coal thing that were very popular in the last, like a year ago of black masks, black everything, black tea, black toast, black butter, black, you know, putting activated charcoal in everything. But again, not charcoal is not jet, but there's still something interesting to that, especially since they are so fluid between each other. In addition to the morning jewelry, there seems to be a carryover. The morning side of it, yes, it's black and that that means that. You know, it's it's morning uh, because of the color association, but that it averts the evil eye is very hev- heavy. That um, mm-hmm. in, in Hispanic culture, asabache, who means jet, is carved into the shape of the fica, the, the hand with the thumb between the forefinger and the middle finger. And this is the fig hand. But this is used all over, obviously, Italian Mediterranean culture. But in Hispanic culture, like, asabache refers to both the jet, the actual jet material or mineralite, as well as to have an athabache just means to have that shape or a blackish thing to avert the evil eye. And I think that's interesting to p- pinning those to anything over anything. Any, I was going to say any young child <laughs> instead of boy or girl that's small to have a small athabache pin, which is often looks like an earring type of thing of like a little gold. Yes, or belts. Belts, uh, that, that was a, 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 the conference I was just at, there was a talk on uh, amulets and the link between what we give to, and, and apoptotropic charms and what that said about selfhood and especially in depiction in art history. And I can't remember the specific one. I'll put it up in the notes and put a picture up, but the, no, that's cute. <laughs> Add it to the pile. One uh, uh, no, there were uh, beautiful, uh, portraits of various uh, young, uh, you know, uh, future kings and queens when they were, when they were baddies, uh, in their dresses. And it's like a belt, uh, with, uh, just all these charms, all the charms, including a couple of, yeah, jet, uh, manifico, mm-hmm. along with, you know, holding coral and, oh, uh, it was as well, obviously 
uh, and a bunch of other ones, which is also interesting in terms of like, this is a picture of my baby and this baby will one day be king of this land. You know, what's, what more apt context for making sure that the baby is just like laden with protective charms, especially in those cultures where, you know, you don't look at the kid, let alone, you know, compliment it. Uh, before it's, you know, in a phone book. Yo, God, the very old school Mexican culture. Like they don't, <laughs> you don't look at babies. Don't look yeah, at yeah. Andrew, baby, stop looking at the baby. Um, <laughs> as far as traditionally uses, because there is the Pliny, 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 the elder. The elder. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the light of the elder. Pliny, light of the elder. It fumes detect attempts to stimulate, to simulate a disabling illness or state of virginity. So its fumes are good in case a woman is pretending to be a virgin when she's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It discovers, uh, yeah, it discovers uh, dissembling, Dis- dissembling. Is that the word? No, it's definitely not the word. Yeah, it, it, yeah. In in that context, I feel like that's part of that whole drives away snakes and snakes as uh, the snake in the grass, specifically the person that says one thing but means another. <laughs> oh, but the snake in the grass because your snake is trying to go into the grass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. or metaphor that i was ready for there's another one about it protecting chastity which i think is another a way of phrasing the same kind of thing oh yeah and there's a thing about if it's put into crushed into water and you make it uh, if the water is then filtered and given to the girl being tested if she is a virgin she'll be unable to urinate uh in the write-up i i, I saw on that it doesn't indicate when she is able to again because that that, that that seems particularly cruel if that's just permanent now and that if she is a virgin as long as she was telling the truth uh, which is even that thing, like, she's a witch. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's a fair cop. Um, I mean, we'll be remiss, I would be remiss to not, because we talked about it when we talked with Amber, but the very well-publicized uh, tradition of Amber Jet alternating necklace for high priestesses who have high goth covens mm-hmm. in Wicca, which then quickly became taken to any high priestess go wear it, and then eventually anybody who's third degree, because... Mm-hmm. Try and separate a gay man from their amber and jet jewelry. Just try it. Um, but uh, no, in the, a lot of the older texts, it specifically said high priestesses who had had sometimes three covens hived off of them, or at least a coven had hived off. I love those kind of microcultures that formed so quickly where there were like set rules to make them feel very legitimate and very arcane, be it ordained, as it were. Um, and it, those kind of microcosmic cultures that happened. It just, it reminds me of the talk about Alex Sanders that was at the Witchcraft Museum last year, or that was this year. Oh dear God. It was only two months ago of, uh, just the, the kind of a culture of what that is and like creating rules for the societies that you lead and that you're a part of and what those are. But there are specific things you can do with Amber and Jet. If one should want to pose as one might be able to allow one to have posed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, what? Ele- elegantly put. Thank you. So, okay, so Jet. Um, yeah, opens yeah. locks as well. Opens locks. I like that one. Uh, I like this idea of if a binding or if a spell is a form of, of locking and this, you know, is counter magic and destroys enchantments or destroys devils or dispels uh, hysteria or drives away snakes, then that this, this feels like a natural extension of that. It, uh, it opens that which is locked. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, I mean, in some ways, it's like weirdly between coal and petrified wood and amber. I mean, it, it's that thing where it's a mineralite because it's not a mineral, but it could have mineral inclusions. Like, um, isn't jet, it has pyrite inclusion sometimes. Oh, 
that it is one of the more common mineral inclusions that can happen with jet, just the sparkly jet. But I also find its use very interesting in kind of new age crystal versions of things. Oh yeah. And specifically in Mexico of jet being very much about removing negative influences, but the touching jet after you clean someone helps take the last little bit of the thing off of you. And then like putting that and burying your jet in the earth and digging yeah, yeah. It up on certain moon phases and things like that and peeing on it and all these. I've heard so many different things from different people I've interviewed and, and, and studied with, but the, that's cool. So it was alive and then it, it goes into the underworld and becomes part of the underworld as well in terms of the a mineralite. Uh, yeah. And thus it, it can and thus it can help pull that 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 bad, that evil, that malefica off someone and direct it into the earth again. I knew one curandero that called it his sapo, meaning his toad. Mm. Um and I know another uh curandera, uh, the doña that called it her the egg. The egg. And then uh, an egg for, and, and I'm uh, probably going to sound culturally pretty ignorant at this point, which shock horror, but it's uh, uh, any way related to uh, like Olympia, like egg cleansing. You could. So Olympia can mean more clean. patient, just eggs. Yeah. You can, you can clean with an egg for sure. Um, but you can also clean with jet. Um, I know a man who has a jet crucifix that he has super glued together many times because when, if you drop things, when you're cleaning with them, they tend to break. But she just, I don't know why she called it the egg. That was just what she called her big, it was a jet beetle, actually not round at all. It was just <laughs> the egg. It was a very mysterious name <laughs> for it and somewhat disconcerting, actually. <laughs> and this is a French name, by the way, Jay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit like the Jay's uh, character. <laughs> so, um, Farula. The, the, the plant that gives us, or the plant genus species. Yeah, so it's the genus. For all of the species, uh, genus. Relative of, of fennel, right? Uh, most likely. I uh, definitely, uh, a biasi. Uh, so it's, uh, related to that parsley carrot, all those lovely plants. It's a unicorn, Astrid, if I remember correctly. But it's, um, the same family as, uh, carrot and Queen Anne's lace and coriander and fennel and hemlock and parsley and parsnip and uh, lots of other things. Uh, <laughs> Angelica. But oh yeah, 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 and and starch, yeah, but like not a dissimilar odor from uh from from some kinds of Angelica. All the rest of those plants. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting because, and I think its history of. Trade is quite interesting because it heavily found in Iran and Afghanistan, which are historically also the places where lapis, the lapis monopoly was held. You know, I was told that the Egyptians invented Egyptian blue, synthetic blue pigment, so they wouldn't have to trade with the then Afghanistan empire, the of, of traders that were <laughs> seldom crushed lapis. But so I have to turn it as interesting because it is a, a common food flavoring in, in, many different Asian cookings. It is a bit strong in large amounts and it is not a flavor Westerners are quite used to, but it does have an almost oniony, leaky type of flavor. Oh yeah, it's great. I lived with a guy from uh, Rajasthan for a while as a flatmate and he, uh, yeah, we, 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 he, he taught me a little bit of the, the cooking his mom had taught him um, very little of which I remember other than it's about the size of 
the things that you cut the your, your potatoes and your veg and stuff in, and then the order in which you add it. Uh, and he used a lot of um, and it it, it it was delicious food and definitely leaned into that that onion. And it, I mean, it has it's often dealt with curry and turmeric. So specifically with turmeric, into other things like curries that are made with different beans, lentils, and things like that, or the the dal and things like that. And oh, something Josh. Josh Rogan, Rogan Josh, Rogan Josh. Rogan <laughs> <laughs> in person. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Rogan. Yeah, he, he is it in Rogan Josh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, no, it uh, goes really well with bell pepper. Um, uh, yeah, adds to that that sweetness. And, you know, it, gum Arabic and, and other things that are used as fixatives and things like that to, to help it. It gets much milder in its flavor when added into things like... Uh, Blah, 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 uh, ghee. Right, right. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For but, sure. okay, so we got the cooking side of it. <laughs> what, pray tell, is its magical use? Well, uh... I mean, why would you want to put the devil's shit on a charcoal and let it burn? Well, uh... You're a devil. If we, if we accept that to, uh, you know, at least a pre-modern, uh, which is its own category of uh, far too widely and, and therefore a multitude of sins, pre-modern European ideas that it's, that it's a bad smell, uh, then you've got the basic notion that good smells bring good spirits and bad smells bring bad spirits. So you would think that it was about bringing bad spirits. Specifically, though, it seems to be about placating them and then getting them to leave. So the, the, the common thing is to get rid of spirits, but specifically spirits that pop up who are unwanted during a ritual, which is really interesting to me of like, it's kind of fulfilling both roles of like, Feeding them something they like, but in a way of propitiating them and, and then getting them to get out the way, while also being used as a, a, a you know bad thing. Bad smells also banish spirits. Well, it's interesting because it reminds me, and this is not necessarily I'm not proposing why that technology mm-hmm. works, but there are there is the type of introduction of certain plant materia in some Afro Caribbean traditions of when you want a spell a working whatever you want to call it to to make sure it's working you put things down that you would normally give the spirit after it's done the work to say you've already been here look the thing should be done why isn't it done Ooh. and as a fair to when you describe it of like banishing unwanted spirits it's like we've already had a few of your crew here see the air smells like sulfur that you know you don't need to come we, we got it and yeah yeah i always think of it of like you know I'm going to make the air smell like farts so that I don't smell your fart as much. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's just, it's a really cool feature that it, it points out that just because, you know, you might have done everything right and still a spirit that isn't the actual spirit that you need or that you're after might turn up as well. And that's something that you need to be aware of and you need to be able to handle in some way, even if that's using a variety of other solutions to that problem, that it is a real uh, a real problem that was identified. But more generally, it is uh, counter magical. <laughs> and again, uh, that aggressive counter magic. So not just breaking a spell, but returning harm that is done to you in, 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 in various ways. Uh, reversing harm. Don't just re- turn the knife around, like twist it. Right, right. Not just, you know, not just neoing their bullets so that they drop to the ground, but actually, you know, deflecting them back so that they strike the one that sent it. And certainly... It, you know, the, from the, the, the accounts I've read uh, for some traditions of, of hoodoo has the idea of being linked to something 
either that you sprinkle it on a doorstep uh, of the person that you think is cursing you to return that evil. So like, again, expressly, not just, it's not just something, you know, uh, something that you fix a candle with in your house that offers protection. You are actively going out and laying something on someone. There's also an account of a bottle, which gets called a witch bottle. Uh, I, I might, I might, you know, get. You might argue with in. your academic credentials. I, I, yeah, I might, I might, you know, do my academic, uh, lineage proud and be a, you know, prick about it. I named the witch bottle. <laughs> right. You put it in a bottle with things like vandal root and black hen feathers and, and that reverses harm. And, and, and in some accounts you even bury that bottle where the person you think is cursing you will walk over. So it, it combines some foot track stuff as well. But so again, it's, it's, it's some of these workings you need you to have worked out who is, who is after you, uh, as opposed to a sort of blanket protection thing, which is again, something I'd qualify around like aggressive counter magic. If we're going to use that category. Also, interestingly, if we're on a hoodoo tip, uh, it doesn't just harm enemies. It also keeps off the law, apparently, uh, which is an interesting use of like, you smell bad and thus are left alone, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. I think it, it's also, I think maybe you smell bad because, and you blend in the rest of the stuff. I don't know. Mm -hmm. the, um, like, I know there's some... Uh, uses culturally of it in the far mid-east by that i just mean the middle east of uh, <laughs> its association with invisibility oh so i'm not sure i mean that's that's what i would think of about in terms of of law keep away or or the kinds of like don't get noticed by the cops is, mm. is it, it feels a lot more like invisibility like or possibly like warding and binding i guess but uh not what i would yeah not that makes more sense to me than something that that expressly harms enemies it's also said to purify specifically from bad habits. So again, that idea that, that makes me think of using something that is kind of bad to sympathetically soak or pull what is bad from you in the same way of the Xenexton or of the, of, of, uh, you know, um, dried toads, amulets and things like that of, of, of using something that pulls out bad things, uh, from you. Not perhaps unlike if we were going to take that very saturnine take on jet. Uh, used for cleansing because it it, it pulls the, the 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 darkness out of you. Uh, well, it's, into it. it's interesting. I mean, just to go with jet in that way because it does contain like it's easy to give it a static charge. But that black amber mm. of like what happens with things are staticky things stick, right? When you are covered, when something is staticky, other things can stick to it very mm -hmm. easily. It's palpable. All of a sudden, it's buzzing. I find that very interesting. Yeah, especially with if it is is paired with with uh, feathers, mm -hmm. you know, something that's very good at uh, receiving a at, at, at sticking to things with a charge. And as the feather does linger in the air, it lingers on the breath. It itself sticks around. Yeah, so I'm not sure what that is. Just it's a fascinating, fascinating thing. Mm -hmm. Do you do, have you ever come across its use in anything tied to uh, Cyprian or a Cyprianic? Uh, mode of operating or a particular set of, of, of recipes. Like it's added in like it's like a substitute, but, or rather not a substitute, but like a modifier of the sulfur and particularly that sulfur brings the presence of certain spirits as well as an, as well as a exorcism thing. And, and it asafetida can be used to also with turpentine, which is a very common Iberian exorcism smell. Yeah. Yeah. Turpentine yeah. smell. Was well, also used for, you know, actually getting a lot of things off cattle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, that that raises an interesting point about sulfurin. Um, uh, sulfurino, the dude that we were talking earlier about Bacon being the man, Roger, being, being the writer of Cyprian's book. <laughs> My head goes to pork immediately. <laughs> of course it does. It is a man. <laughs> but the idea of, of oh, we were talking earlier about uh, about the the book being written by someone on Supreme's direction or under his patronage, and that's the case with Solferino, right? Yeah, Solferinos. And so we have an extra layer of dead magician there, and, and meaning the sulfurous one, right? Yeah. So there's a notion of yeah, that make, that's interesting to me. And I find it interesting too, like with the exorcism side, is that. The smell goes away, right? Yeah. So it gets really stinky for a little bit, and then it dissipates, which the bad spirits are, their presence is now called out. They are recognized, and then it dissipates, and you replace it with sweet smells or things like that, or just let the air naturally shift. There's right. like that. That's interesting. Yeah. So if we can say that, you know, certainly with Peter, that. There's a a sense of using. Would it be fair to say that it was it was using something unpleasant to combat something even more unpleasant? Maybe, maybe it's a little homeopathic thing in that way. But I, I also I'm really interested in the kind of methodologies of putting the thing down to show that your people have already like we've already had you here. Of like yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. The house, pretending that the house has been ransacked so the thieves just walk by it. You know, Saturday Night Live get. Where like it's a, a lunch carpet looks like crap on the outside, but you roll down the window, <laughs> beautiful on the inside. But <laughs> they'll show you a rundown car with a stolen eight track player on the inside. When you look in the window, when it's down, it's a luxury car. That kind of like could as a fetter to be a part of that kind of mentality. I think it's easily lends itself to that. You know, just the idea that sulfur is obviously used to banish, right? To banish mm-hmm. the spirits as well as to call them. And there is something there with oh, this thing of. Let's make the smell that it smells like the people, you know, the things we don't want are here because then it will go away. It's kind of like, um, I don't know. Is it like smelling your own armpit when you're really, really smelly so that you get used to it and be like, oh my God, that's what I smell like right now. Is it like using uh, lion pits to keep away neighborhood cats? Well, that's just because there's a really big cat, like the king of cats is in town and that's just scary, but maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, if it's, if it is the devil's dung, you know, if the devil has already, you know, uh, marked this territory. And so the minor devils now know to, to scalp it. Sure. I, I really like that thing about you've already, they, they've already been here though. That, that, that feels some, somewhere closer to, uh, or, you know, almost invisibility mystery stuff of like, it, as well as it's a kind of representative magic as well, right? We'll make it up as if they were here and not in a, not exactly in a fake it till you make it, but definitely in a sense of like employing a ruse with the spirit and employing you know, a kayfabe maybe of some sort. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, there's plenty of systems you can talk about that when you're in dire need or to piss off the spirit into action that you could offer it, you know, you, you call it after you've made the offerings and then you untap all the bottles and like take all the alcohol and leave the bottles on their slides and like you leave the food half eaten. Like, you know, the bears are going to go after Goldilocks or Barry Court is going to go after Thomas. And it's just going to be the thing of how very dare you. Oh, you blame you, you blame someone else for eating the offerings. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Blame your enemy for eating the offering. Yeah, a fit up job. Uh, not, yeah, this it was so and so. Right, right, right. It's what so and so thinks of you. Mm-hmm. You know, here, here's some asafetida. That's what you know, Lady Catherine of whatever her kingdom is down the road. 
thinks of you. Right, right. You know, hmm. I think you're amazing, but she thinks you're devil's dung. <laughs> My favorites are those, uh, the, the Egyptian ones, where you like actually, where you put on a bunch of invisibility stuff, then actually kill the sacred animal and then call them up and be like, look what he did. Yeah. Um, yeah. You frame someone else by being the guilty party yourself with the full intent of frame. Yeah. All right. So we've got Apophenida and Jet. Uh, as far as connections to Cyprian and Justina and the, the magician card is with a very no brainer fit. Yeah. Um, as far as, as how things go, because Cyprian is called the sorcerer saint among many other things. Right. And I don't know. The magician card is such an interesting one because it's the, it's the, the juggler, right? So it's the, the first card. Of the deck, first numbered card. We don't, if we consider zero a placeholder, if the fool is indeed not the first card, but the card that is binding them all together. The, the, the medium by which they can even exist. Yeah. The one ring to rule them all. It's a zero. Uh, <laughs> the, the foundational womb that allows the others to emerge. Yeah. And like traditionally, it's the mountebank, right? It's the state magician. Uh, right. Hence the jongleur. But eventually it becomes the, the, the ritual magician. So we go from the deceptive one relying on tricks to someone who is using the tools of magic to explore the mind and the consciousness, um, which is quite interesting. Yeah. And that just occurring as the word magician itself is coming to mean more a stage conjurer. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting, isn't it? Like that, that, that push back against it. And you have still the one hand raised up, one hand lowered. Depending on the, the, the specific deck, it changes. But of course, the Rider Waite goes into very specific ideas about that. And the weapons of the magician on the table in modern tarot of the elemental weapons, quote unquote, of the Gwandan, um, versus just random knives and cheese and things like that. <laughs> Are you suggesting that cheese isn't a powerful tool of a, a magician? Oh, I think it is. I just think people don't quite understand it. But <laughs> I, I have many recommendations for you to explore the power of cheese. <laughs> and it's baptismal rites and the bones of cheese and the relationship between the white blood of the rennet acting upon the red blood, which both makes babies as well as cheese. Mm -hmm. So wonderful. But I was really interested in, uh, I was just starting to watch Westworld recently on the Hatch mm -hmm. Um And Anthony Hopkins' character, who's one of the creators of the world, the little boy asks him, like, is it magic? And Anthony Hopkins' character says, it's, everything's magic except to the magician. And I was like, whoa, whoa, that's some deep shit right there. That's wonderful. Gives a lot of fruit, right? We always talk about how any efficiently advanced science will look like magic to those witnessing it. Mm -hmm. And so there's always this relationship between two. All magic has explanation. We just don't necessarily know the reason why mm -hmm. ourselves. And that's very interesting too. Yeah, a, a reflection, yeah, a card that asks us to reflect on magic itself rather than take a magical perspective on some things. I find the predominance of the Lemnus skit in the Magician card quite interesting that it is spotted in the Marseille Tarot of uh, having the hat brim form of Lemnus skit, the infinity sign. Yeah, yeah. Know, yeah. And you get to the writer weight that there is just a flat out actual Lemnus skit floating above his head, which mm -hmm. is in place of a halo. What's your favorite interpretation of that infinitude? I just, from well, immediately what comes to mind is the, the journey that we talk about from the fool, <laughs> the magician, all the way up to the world card is not a one-time process. This is not Protestant theology. You know, you're not saved once by the light of Jesus. Now you, you're saved every moment you remember that you want to be saved. 
that type of thing with the lemniscate in this, that the, the magician at no point should sit on their laurels or rest on their laurels. You have to constantly be going through the work and faster at some things. It's, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a butt cheek mark of where they were sitting. <laughs> Perhaps, yes. No, no, that's, that's, that's a beautiful sentiment. I like that very much, the, the, the ongoing work. And of course, mirrors the, the two of coins or pentacles or discs, or however you want to put it, in terms of the, the, still the juggler and still the first manifestation after the seed of the ace of pentacles or discs or what have you is the Lord of Change. And is the, the change of the tides of fortune behind them and ahead of them, this loop of, of the two discs. And so this, yeah, that, that brings to mind that. And just the, the notion that the magician is the divine will inside man, the divine motive, the prima motiva, the, the, like what is it that pushes people forward? What starts the deck in this way? And I don't know, there's something interesting to that, especially those of us that have assume the moniker of magician in some way right that it is meant to be first an insult <laughs> you're an illusionist sir yeah and, and what does that mean and how do we take that the right. con job and the conjurer yeah brings up those memes of like what i think i do what my wife thinks i, <laughs> like, so, I actually do yes but what do you do you're all those things yeah mm. <laughs> that mm. reality of magic right mm. it's all those things so I think what's interesting that there is that Cyprian too, um, we talk about the world above, the world below, and the table, the double cube altar of uh, mm -hmm. how it works, the right hand up, the left hand down, of Cyprian's retaining of his in former nefarious infernal magics. And just that balance point between the two, you know, the Cyprian Chonti wand that is used in Peruvian Mesa shamanism, where the Cyprian wand is in the middle. Right. right. Start the shift from the right side of the mesa to the left side of the mesa or back and forth, just right, right. the one that can serve both sides. And the good and the bad, right? Beautiful stuff with that. Um, uh, Eduardo the Healer, that book, mm -hmm. there's a beautiful prayer. I'll put it in the notes. No. No. We're going to have to have shots ready for every time we say I'll... I'll <laughs> um, it's a long recording. Those are, those are some dangerous drinking games there. And they verge out of games and into drinking abuse <laughs> pretty quickly. I would never abuse you, Al. <laughs> uh, yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, abuse of power is something that the magician card sometimes connotes, right? In terms of its reversal. Absolutely. We get a lot of the, the dualities placed between one and two, between the magician and the high priestess as well, of these Aristotelian metaphysics of active and passive principles and things like that. The magician is the, the, the doer and the, the high priestess is the, the done unto uh, and those kinds of things. Uh, I'm the a fuck type of person, but hey, whatever. Sure, right. right. Um, but I do think that just the magician is it's such an interesting interesting starts to the tarot mm -hmm. the fool is really difficult to examine outright yeah it's a very uh, the fool is a strange card to show up i don't agree that it's just always like the innocence or like the pay attention to what's going on you that many people interpret like it, it needs to be it's so mercurial that it's good for good and bad for bad or sometimes reversing the flow of things and that's its own thing you know i thought the, the the primordial air the the yeah not even the first breath the the air that allows the first breath. Yes. The magician itself is attributed to Mercury, the planet. And so you have the, the notion of, of where, where Mercury meets the, 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 the possibility of, of, of primal air. And we move past the, 
the field or the, the medium through which things can flow. And then the, the notion of flow itself through that medium. Well, and then if you look at the, the Lemnus get right, we're going into motions of retrograde there, which is interesting forward and retrograde and the great Mercury retrograde, Mercurygrade, you know, dooms the modern cosmos. <laughs> um, None of the other planets, they're all fine. Yeah. Well, also the role of, well, Mars retrograde gave everyone a, like a lesson this year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the role of the magician trickster figure in being at home in, in Mercury retrograde or, or this idea of when other people's communications are gone, the magician can step in and still communicate. Mm-hmm. And there's something really beautiful about that, about the, the metaphors tapping into the unseen powers, mm-hmm. being able to mediate with those things. And for instance, um, just the notion of magic as an act of rebellion for so long that magic itself is rebellion against God's order. Even with God's authority, it's against God's order. And that magic and prayer were very different things. Um, but ultimately they aren't, but they are, but they aren't, but right. You know, the, that's, that's its own wonderful thing. Duality, non-duality is, is, is really easy to, uh, impose or, or find in the lily and the rose that you're present in the Rider-Waite-Smith uh, yeah. magician. So you have the, the lily of martyrdom and, and, and the rose of, uh, well, I'd be guessing they're both, you know, martyring symbols, but one, the, the, the earthly blood and the other, the, the spiritual beautification. And, and the, 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 the blood of martyrdom and the rose of res- or the lily of resurrection, mm-hmm. the promise of, of, of everlasting life, because the lilies do last a long time in their their own associations with um, the crossroads and the kingdom of the souls and Kimbando always stands up there too for me. Um, and the, of course, the Rose of Sharon and the Lilies of the Valley. Of course. So yeah. the white and the red as well, you know, most broadly, which is something that obviously people like white and things and, and Crowley later on in the thought tower are very interested in, in that, that interplay of uh, these things and the swapping of them between each other, the, the eagle and the lion and so on. This is, yeah, I mean, it's interesting as a, as a geomancer in terms of looking at having to look at binary things again and not just go, well, of course, you know, uh, you know, any binary is a, is not official imposition, but looking at like, what, what use does that have? How, how does it, how does it code things? What, what things can actually be built from when we build geomantic figures or on offs or binary or chip or like computer chips. Well, I find it interesting thinking about the default nature of binary at rest, quite interesting too, that a computer switch or computer coding is yes, binary, and then it's on and off, but really off is the natural state of things and on is an added quality. So it's really one equals two equals one, not in counting, but in essence, which is <laughs> interesting to me that if we look at the magician card, he has one arm up and one arm down. What's the natural tendency for an arm is to be down? That arm is pointing, so it's still active. But for the most part, that arm is already in a position that's very natural to standing there in. Right? Yeah. The arm is a very different thing. And so the off position, while it creates a second, is completely reliant upon the first. And yes, there's that whole, you know, the white dot and the black dot and the white of the yin-yang. But I don't know, I like thinking about that kind of thing of dualism that's not dualistic. Right, 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 right. The, 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 yeah, uh, the why not both argument. The thing about uh, the one arm, one uh, up, one down, it does illustrate that point you're making about, you know, in retrograde, when the world is turned upside down, he's still got one up, one down, right? He's, 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 mm-hmm. he's, he remains, albeit now a little bit more uh, pendulous, uh, a little bit more 
falling maybe, or a little bit more of a, you know, uh, we can't quite see his little back feet maybe hanging on there, but he's still in the same posture. I don't know. Of, of being half in, half out means that when everything else is reversed, you're still half in, half out. Yeah. The permanent liminality is quite difficult, right? When one is neither or, which the true meaning of liminality there, right? In the anthropological sense, as we've talked about, I believe, of just the state of something when you have started the ritual, but it's not ended yet. And you are not the finished thing, but you are no longer the thing you were when you came through the door. And that is the why liminality of the term was invented was to describe that state. So there's an anticipation of something, not just stuck between, but then we can have those discussions of what is it, what is it to be in the between? What is the Bardo state? It reminds me, you know, for Cyprian, this is an important thing because the battle between the Christian and the pagan that happened in, in the Cyprianic revival happens with any major state revival. If someone is attracted to it from a different sensibility of, of, you know, their relationship with the big Jesus in the sky. The argument that can you work Cyprian without being Christian is there, is he going to enforce Christianity? And some people will say, absolutely, you need, it's a fate. That's what the thing is going to do. But it's also the thing of, I, I will share and building up of many of the things that we have talked, that I have talked with Jake about this year. It's been something that he's been wrestling with because it's so much a part of my worldview of being from Catholic framework where there is no conflict between Christianity and paganism, that there was no, there's no rebellion. There's no need to rebel against Jesus to embrace paganism because, you know, it's not in our, it's not in Catholic colonial history for Hispanic Catholics to be like, oh, well, we've shunned mother church and we're still okay. So Protestant identity forms out of that and kind of interesting to go forward out of that. But the Costas Palamas, the, it was the Greek poet. We are neither Christians nor pagans with crosses and pagan symbols. We are trying to build the new life whose name is not yet known. Very Cyprianic. It is, it is the, the merging of the two hands. The two hands serve the head, the person, the heart, the feet. They are not just the left hand goes off and does its own thing and then magically boomerangs back to you. <laughs> um, I mean, that's really cool if it does, but... <laughs> Just the notion that, again, for me and my own explorations of identities and things like that, of being half Mexican and, and, and half what we call just Anglo in, the, in, the, in, in a Mexican identity, what does it mean to be half of something that is a race that's known for being half of something? You know, Mexican identity is formed on the great myth of the Mestizaje that, are, that we have indigenous blood and Spanish blood mixed perfectly. And, you know, so they're mixed bloods already. According to it, this, the mestizaje would mean misogynated is how you would translate it into English. But in Spanish, it's just used all the time. And mestizo, you know, you're a mudblood. But this is Mexico's identity. And then to be someone who is half that, it brings up interesting explorations of that. And so for me, going through the, the lesson that I had to learn with the Virgin of Guadalupe of for years wanting her to be Tolancin, the yeah. thick earth deity, um, a form of Guatlique. But, and say like, she is, she is, she is. And then it was, it was actually Bryant Holman, rest in peace, Bryant, who pointed out like, look, you know, I don't mean to be the devil's advocate. He always did. He always <laughs> argumentative son of a bitch. And I loved him. But the, the notion that, okay, the version of Guadalupe is how she'd been identified for a long time now. Um, the Aztecs were only around for 250 years. So the concept of Tlanantin may have replaced something else that was before it, but Tlanantin herself, 250 years. Followed by 400 plus years of version of Guadalupe coming at that thing. So at this point, she's technically, historically, more version of Guadalupe than she ever was Lenin. And what does that mean? Like here I was trying to erase part of what she was because it, it suited me. 
and for me and my own identity to erase part of what I was based on who I was talking to or erasing or being asked to erase part of who I was based on who I was talking to or how I had to present. And that side of it too, with Cyprian, I think is an interesting side to explore the notion that you can be more than one thing at once because you are still you. Yeah. People are able to manage, you know, mother and sister and wife and employee or, or whatever it is, right. you are still you. So if what you are is the mask and you don't know what's behind the mask, then you're going to feel a sense of loss when the mask leaves. Mm. But for those of us that uh, Catholicism is the worldview, is the paradigm, is the cultural context, the calendar upon which we describe things, and it unifies us according to the great green, white, red, purple, that's, what, that's something. But I just, the Cyprian thing opens up an interesting dialogue and perspective with that. Justina, on the other hand, is obviously pure Christian and, and very, uh, you know, the heart of Cyprian in that way. But, and then they inspire their third to be, what has happened here at this space? Oh, you're going, you're dying too. Well, he's the student of them, but he only trained for a day. What? Or sometimes he was already training with them, depending on the lore you hear. But I just think this idea of an acting in improv, right? You don't say no, but say yes. And so with the Christo conjure, Christo magic things that are happening. It's a very yes and attitude and the Catholicism lends itself perfectly to that. The concept of sacramentals and, and what power you might have from being properly confirmed in the church. All that is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Moving on from there of like, you know, how does the da- dragon shit when it doesn't have a, a butthole? <laughs> what? Where did that come from? I mean, I know you're trying to move it towards Gouda, but you might need to explain that, that dragon. Ed, before I made the comment of things, <laughs> like, you know, concepts of identity and things like that, of like, the, we have a sign that is defined by what it is lacking. Well, it is when, yeah, well, that's, that's an interesting mark of, of, of good and, and, and bad, right? Caput Draconis, the dragon's head, being all those like big yeses and, and, and how much we, we favor yes as an affirmative, as, as, as therefore good. And that Cowder is bad news bear. It is, uh, it is the firm no. And, and more than that, when it's describing a bunch of conditions, it's not just no and whatever no might mean in that context. It's bad. It's trouble. It's perplexity. It's scandals, calumnies. It's destruction, it's crossings, it's threats, it's violence. What is, uh, there he is, no hire in Ogunda. Mm. It is always destruction. You can die destruction, but destruction will happen. Right. Which is the corresponding Odu, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So I think it's interesting that we kept, we could, it, it is common to talk about uh, the, the South Node and Cauda Draconis as headless, because the other one is the head. But I think it's interesting to look at what an actual tail is as well. Like, I like, I like that notion of it as headless medicine and, and as caput as the severed head, the oracle and all that kind of business. So I think it's cool to talk about Cowder as the headless one, but I also think it's, it's interesting. That's not, you know, that's technically not its name, you know, is, is the tail, everything that isn't the head, whereas the self like that, those kinds of stuff get, gets interesting to me. Is the tail, the wake of that, which is left dragged across a landscape, you know, by this hulking, scaly, fire-breathing beast, you know, Hail the part. That it's after the poop hole, Al. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah they the, teach you anything? The shitty end of the stick. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. Which is actually not about. much, right? So it's, it's interesting because you think the snake is all tail, but it's actually very little tail at the end. <laughs> a lot of digestive track. But I also think it's interesting that the glyphs themselves depict an absence of the thing there mm. to mark it in some way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 
you can talk about if it's, you know, two, one, one, one from the, the top to the bottom, like that, the, I, you know, I have seen the, of ca- that's, that's Capitraconus of the, of the two on the fire line in the first line as the open jaws, right? But yeah. then what is the, yeah, what is the, is it a bidented tail, bifurcated tail? Like what is, right. yeah, yeah. Dragon tail possum peanuts, like what's going on? <laughs> uh, there are, I don't, a lot of, uh, lizards have, have those, those, those two peni. Pensies is a correct plural. Okay. Like menses, but with a P. <laughs> uh, so Canada has this quality of, it, it, you know, in the first it said that it always produced much uh, mischief and trouble. And that can be framed as a perplexity of body. Uh, so in terms of d- diseases, a perplexity of mind, of being in the wrong mind for something. It can mean outside influences, scandals. It's said to be generally good for nothing but ruins. And specifically burnings of countries by wars and treason as well. So bad, in fact, that it's another one of those figures that a lot of traditional geomancers didn't read if it came up as the first as the figure in the first house, if it came up as the first figure of a reading. And there are various things that, that the, the chart must be broken that you can't ask that question again, that you have to wait at least an hour, which is one of the other ones uh, that I find interesting is that it's expressly said in, you know, in a couple of these manuals that you can't read now. <laughs> and what does that mean in terms of when can I try again? Sometimes it's an hour, but other uh, G-Mans have said, no, 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 it's fine. You can read it. You can keep reading that chart, but it's, it's, it's always bad. You know, uh, sometimes it's bad in the typical way that one would expect when it turns up in that house. So in the fifth, the house of pleasures and delights. It's said to destroy the queerance, pleasures and delights. So it's a, a figure of, of corruption in the eighth when it's already about the manner of death. It threatens a violent death, especially if the figures of the moon and the sun of fear and populace and Fortuna Major and Fortuna Minor are present or afflicted by the malefics themselves as well. In the ninth, it's said to be a, uh, a it's said to produce amongst either an atheist or a skeptic or a pestilent heretic. And so it's, it's, it's not just the notion of your bio. <laughs> how very dare you sir pestilent heretic is a pretty good thing to have on a cv to be honest that is a fantastic band name right right yeah or yeah. like a track name oh it's no it's definitely a, like a sludge like metal band uh like stoner rock kind of thing isn't it yeah it's that it's not just the quality of like no of of a, of a, of a negative it's like it's it's it, it feels a lot at the time reading these like it's the worst version of the thing that could happen then it's not just the lesser fortune it's the worst fortune the visual that comes to mind for me is yay ray harryhausen but when you cut off medusa's head in all the movies so this is the way it was in reality i'm sure the head now controlled and you can control it. Right. You know, you can petrify monsters. You have control of the head, but the body is writhing and Icor is falling out of it. Poison is falling out of it. And that's interesting that you cut off the head of a, of a rattlesnake. The head is the dangerous part, but now you're controlling what was the poison, but the rest of that body is lashing around, mm-hmm. doing something. And it, it's no longer static, where the head is no longer, it stops moving quickly, but the body keeps alive for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And there's something interesting to me with that, with, with this notion of the tale of the dragon and it's, and it's more dangerous point of even its relationship in the corresponding order that we've talked about of Kappa Draconis being Osa, which is quick, violent, sudden change and Kauta Draconis being Ogunda, which is war and destruction and uh, metal. It's Ogun's Odu. So there's, it's a warrior Odu. There is something interesting in that, that the thing that is unpredictable, the writhing, the pain, the agony is contained in the tail and that the head 
is dangerous, but once the danger is over, it's controllable. Like it could also be a quick change for the good. Snake didn't bite you. It lunged at you and you survived. Whatever you want to say, maybe it's not escaping a bad fortune, but Kappa Draconis can actually be good fortune. And that side of it is very interesting. But I'm just, I'm seeing the Medusa writhing along the ground in Class of the Titans. And yeah, I really like that. Yeah. The tail still trying to like, yeah, still thrashing and stuff. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there. There's other accounts where it's said that if it's in the, you know, it, even with the demons that say you can't judge it if it falls in the first, that say if it's in the second and passes to the fourth, that there are no certain judgments. And I love this phrasing for the malice of the said figure. So uh, again, I'm, I'm super into the idea of like the, the, the figures having personalities and objectives and things they're trying to do in the world. And so that idea of this isn't just a figure that points at, you know, bad news or bad luck but it's actively malicious. Like it, it wants to inflict uh, evil, for want of a better term, pain, suffering, loss. I mean, it, uh, I mean that, that does correspond a little bit with Ogun in the sense that Ogun is always destruction, but you can guide the destruction if you, if you see it coming. And the metaphor of that always is, you know, Ogun wields the machete and, and if he's going to chop it and you can direct him to clear the forest and clear a field where if you aren't conscious of it, it will continue to manifest and he will plow right through that village and kill everyone in it. Mm. And the ability of metal to cut the skin for surgery or for warfare. Mm. And like that removal, the excising of things that you trample, that you create through destruction in, the, in this Odu. It is a tremendous possibility to go from something very frail to something very strong and centered. To go from timid and at war with the world to mastering yourself and being at peace in the world because you were at war with yourself. But you could also be at war with your own head in it and therefore uh, never and make anything accomplished in the world because you're destroying your progress before you start. So there's so many possibilities in it of what it is. You know, I can't, I can't, I don't want to go into specific signs left the, the, the Ocho Mafia come after me. <laughs> well, but that, notion, but that notion that violence can be directed inwards that in a, in a constructive way of, uh, tempering the, the steel on the, or, you know, on the, uh, the iron on the anvil of the soul, or it can be in the self-violence as we do ourselves and, 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 and undoing ourselves before we begin. You know, there's some interesting acknowledgements with Ogunda that like, okay, you, you, Ogunda comes up for someone. It has to manifest. This is all Odu like this, but Ogunda is such a prime example of this. It has to manifest. So the person's told they're violent. So they try and do some weird kind of like a uh, Delphic prophecy thing where they, they, they don't want to be around certain people. So they're forcing themselves to be in a meditative, peaceful state all the time. <laughs> but you're forcing, you're using Ogun there to force yourself into it. Mm. That's not what it is either. So you're still fulfilling the thing. You're finally doing something. It's kind of like a principle in um, our common love of the 90s. Well, maybe you were like a baby then. Our common love of chaos magic. But, you know, the idea that a fanatic... Christian can easily become a fanatic. Muslim can easily become a fanatic. Anything of the commonality is fanaticism. And here, violence is the common thing. That in order for the world to come into being, when Obatala breaks into this world from Aye and pierces, it is the violence of metal that pierces into this world, the violence of iron, sky iron right there, ripping through the worlds to allow passage of the spirits, the Orisha, from one realm to the other. And similarly, that enter the world in extreme violence. The ripping of the, of the amniotic set, the, the breaking of the water. Mm -hmm. 
um, that allows us to go in and the mother goes into extreme pain in order to bird life. And Ogunda starts to hint at that, of, of what is necessary to excise the tumor, to, to expose your body to extreme danger in order to heal you. And I think about that with scarification, because that's contained in this Odu, and what the significance of different things are that allow passage of medicine between things. The lines that are carved in the face traditionally in Yoruba or striped beads or striped paint or whatever it is, that it, it's symbolically allowing passage between that what should be a very solid surface. And that's fascinating to me. All right. And, that, and in that sense of passage, it's, it's also an, uh, an odor of, of Elegua, right? Yeah, well, Elegua speaks in every odor, so it's really hard to, but <laughs> because of the, the, the relationship between Elegua and Ogunda and Ogun is, is of course present in Ogunda, it has to be. But the, um, yeah, Elegua speaks in every other. So we can, we can always work him in. Obatala and Elegua, always, <laughs> you can work them in. But um, I think it's just, it's a strong warrior Odu in general. If there's a war going on. And how do you prepare yourself for battle? You know, how do you go into practice mode for fighting that you realize you don't have to fight your loved ones? Or that if you're upset, that energy has to go somewhere. You don't want to take it home with you, be destructive. Or maybe you do, maybe you're careless with it. And many mm-hmm. of those people, when their emotions go through, you're just, everything's, and you feel it. Ogunda, Ogunda as a marker, people feel it very intensely. Mm-hmm. Take things personally. Because the hammer, you know, you got hit. Where does that reaction go? Well, the energy travels through you and goes somewhere else. And now it's in your hand. Mm-hmm. You've got to figure out how to wield it back. Is there that sense of the, 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 you know, those, uh, cycles of violence as it gets put sometimes in terms of, uh, you know, uh, abusers are often folks who are abused and the, the, the attendant conversations about, uh, responsibility and, and ethics. I think there's something to it. I mean, even the, the, the Patakin of, of, old, I don't remember, it's told in different Odu, of course, because every house, every village will tell things in different Odu to illustrate what they're talking about at the time. Mm-hmm. The idea that Ogun lusted after his mother and raped his mother and as punishment for himself, went to work in the forest 24-7. And part of this is like, okay, that punishment is he just avoiding it, but he himself needs to, he needs to keep busy to be productive. And what is he doing? He's raping the earth for metal too, pulling metal out of the earth is a violent act and then shaping it for the benefit of everybody else. So the technology is there to create weapons of war or weapons for forming. Still a weapon, you're attacking the earth, you know, waging war on the spirits and the soil in order to grow things. So is, is it an odor of, to, to, you know, if we're talking about like Cyprian and counter magic, might it connote those kinds of activities of, of responding to the harm done to you in a constructive way or in, well, not even in a constructive way, in, a, in an effective way? I think what is important as far as that kind of magic with Ogunda, Ogunda will, you cannot be consumed by the gathering of things. You can't hoard for the sake of hoarding. You have to use that knowledge. You have to put it into practice. Knowing that you're a violent person is not the same as doing something about it. Mm-hmm. You know, forearmed is forewarned, but that is the thing why the Odu is, is, doesn't exist in a state of day, even when it's in a state of day. You must. It's a battle that's constant. So, I don't know, that side of it, as far as counter magic, it's interesting because it, it can't just be about things in your head. Like, you've got to put what you know into practice. And, I don't know, that side is difficult. You cannot live in a world of possibilities. The warrior must make the decision or it's life or death. 
for them or the village or whatever it is. You have to act now. You don't get to and meditate on it. And that side of it with counter magic is interesting, right? Somebody sends something to you, you recognize the sign. Mm-hmm. Great. If you know who it is, then you can do your aggressive thing going and, you know, doing a specific target, but just doing enough magic to protect yourself and your loved one. There's something there in each do like that, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. but the just Ogun, I mean, medicine, right? It's, it's the, it can be the iron fence that protects you too. I wonder about this in terms of Kauda, because there are definitely figures that crop up where, uh, depending on the nature of the, the question you've asked, you know, if it's, will I overcome my enemy and you get Fortuna Major in the 12th, then yes, you will. But if you ask, is my enemy strong, then Fortuna Major in the 12th is going to mean, yes, the enemy is like, it's, it's, that, 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 that's the, that's your enemy's fortune. You know, uh, it, it depends who it is referring to. Whereas you don't get that so much in Kauda. It isn't that you ask, is my enemy strong? There will be disaster in enmity, right? If it's turning up in the 12, potentially for everyone, you know, it seems to have that kind of area of effect thing. Yeah. I think it's just that Ogunda itself means there's war, mm. there's conflict, and you must acknowledge it because denial means you're going to die. You're going to suffer the consequences of it either way. Mm-hmm. And so you have to find the things that cause conflict in you, the things that agitate you and take you away from being prepared to go to battle and remove them. You can't mm. travel heavy into war. So that side of it, when Ogunda falls, like, okay, this person lives in a state of conflict. And so clarity becomes all the more important. Yeah. And there's all those different sides of what conflict is. Could it be physical conflict? Yes. Could it be that you have, you're, you're not keeping your eye on the prize? You're not keeping your focus? Are you doing too much? Are you doing too little? Are you lying to yourself that it's something that you want? All of those possibilities exist there, but there is conflict first and foremost. You know, the idea that you might be not the constant, uh, the idea that, you know, you talk too much, not necessarily about talking too much. It's about, you don't talk at the right times, you know, not you, Al, but uh, (laughs) that's why the British one does work better, but then there's like that subtlety of like, well, when one wants to go to the supermarket (laughs) with one mother, we can (laughs) And you're like, to just say, like, are you ready yet? Because I want to go. But the concept of just, again, it has to manifest. And you can vacillate on something all you want, but it's need to move forward. Ogunda is the, like, shit or get off the pot, Odu. And then it's definitely like a run. Like, you got to do this. This is hard. The idea that a choice is itself a kind of violence against that which is not chosen. Do you think that's, uh, that's fair? Yes, but it's also, fuck the relative thing of it's a choice. It's a choice against you. It's violence against you. By not making a choice, you are violently destroying your potential and wasting time. It's not just a violence against the other choice. That happens. Mm-hmm. You have to kill options off. We have mm-hmm. that process of narrowing down. But what is this mm-hmm. effect on you, ultimately? That's, the, that's yeah. the, the kicker. You know, you can be deciding whether or not you're going to have a red or a blue ice cream cone and the bus hits you because you were doing that in the crosswalk and not present. That's true too. The, the, the prevalence of violent metal colliding with metal <laughs> and metal people can be melted down and reused. So the, the knife doesn't know it's violent. There's a little bit of, you knew what I was and you picked me up in this appropriate thing for anything draconis, right? Yeah. Well, I think we've hit on everything. Well, I mean, I mean, we've touched on them. We've not, you know, as you said, we're not attempting to do the authoritative take on, on all of these things, but we've definitely discussed them. And I think those, those are all things from the, the idea of 
an ending on this the meditation on violence is 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 useful, I think, in terms of looking at Cyprian not through rose tinted glasses of this uh oh such a powerful and good version of paganism uh <laughs> and corrupted by 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 evil restrictive christianity um no uh do it you know uh, a move from uh, unethical practice to an ethical practice one might even say uh, if we were putting it like that or to combine them and to be able to heal and harm uh but in doing so needing to profoundly meditate on violence and responsibility and choice and action and just the it's very easy to be violent when you are unopposed and that whole notion of you can barrel forward with your demon army but you'll meet resistance at some point and what do you do when you do you know you're if if you are not paying attention you know running towards the enemy army is what you're supposed to do with an army running towards a brick wall not necessarily <laughs> but they're equally violent expression right. well it has been a pleasure as always and uh, hopefully this will be thoroughly listenable and uh, appropriate offering for Suprimus and Justinimus. <laughs> I just want mice named that. But yes, no, lovely. And it's a show that's been a long time coming just because it's been a, a passion of ours, obviously. With If you have not checked out Cyprian Old World, please do through Revelor Press. This is a, an anthology of, of articles by different people, including Al and, and afterward by myself and uh, Jake Stratton Kent and, and, and others focusing on Cyprian's places in the old world. You know, they're, we're hoping to move forward with that, but we also have the immaterial book of St. Cyprian. Oh yeah. 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 A fantastic take on the book itself and the, yeah. the myths about the book keyed to particular Iberian landscapes and features. A fantastic text. Yeah, I don't, I, uh, a list of things in the notes, of course, you know, I, I, I imagine that people will be listening to this on the day, but also in the future for anyone that finds this episode, just we are at a, a hugely fortuitous time as far as Cyprianic literature in English. It used to be a thing that you had to read Spanish or Portuguese or perhaps one of the Swedish black books that is attributed to St. Cyprian. But again, those collections of folk magic have less to do with St. Cyprian and more just in the, right. the vein of Cyprianic book. Right. Um, whereas a lot of the material, like I, like we haven't even gone into a lot of the Brazilian conceptions and things like that. And that's just a, a fascinating thing for me. The lore around Pai Cipriano and things like that and how he used the Book of St. Cyprian in order to to right the wrongs attributed to, to or given that his people had to suffer through when using mm-hmm. magic in that way. For peace, you know, declaring war on people in order to make peace. The army makes peace. It does not keep it. There's a difference. I always find that fascinating from my brother who was a colonel. Anyway, no, I think the, the, the boiling pot of sorcery that invites a third to come join them <laughs> in the after of the afterlife um, room for one more yeah there's always room for one more in hell and hell you know and as far as for me you know this we make a, of a hell our life or a heaven and you know this kind of pseudo gnostic interpretation of things is cyprian grants agency um grants transmission in written form of magic and this is lovely but, you know, for everyone who holds him dear, who everyone who holds him afar, for everyone who would like to know him better, for those who would like to forget, perhaps just don't, you know, I don't know, do some heavy drugs now so you forget this episode. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, this he will continue to guide those he guides. If we can all temper those he guides with a little bit of humor, that would be good, perhaps. Non, non-warfare at all times um, in, in a Libre AF world. Um, yeah. But Justina's simplicity of, no, this is who I am, 
and I can reject anything if I truly believe in the power of my Jesus. You know, and everybody's Jesus may be a little bit different. Right. The antidote of all poisons, which mm. is occasionally. Which is right to at least, at least by you. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this I adore, but you know, I hope everyone continues to dive into them and that they, I like that we're in a time where it's kind of died out a little bit. The fat is a little bit gone, but that it keeps on getting rekindled by more people bringing up and, and publishing things and um, publishing good short articles or talking about certain things. Right. Now the study can begin because they're the people that are, are doing it and really devoting themselves to this saint that once we get past its conflation with the Cyprian of Carthage that we talked about and the lack of Justina and things like that, then we can start to look at, you know, what is it like to work with a saint, not just to worship one, not just to call on one when 911 occurrences happen. And especially as a magician saint, you know, giving us reflection on patronage itself of not just as we rail against a lot, the idea of picking a saint off the shelf because it's, oh, it's the one for that kind of work. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but rather of the patron of all your magic of who you go to for everything. And first, probably, you know, who oversees the whole endeavor of even doing this, of even, even being a magician with one arm raised and one lowered. Well, I think it's interesting to just, I mean, let me end this program if I keep talking, um, the patron saint and how quickly that's become like ideas of lists in people's heads when there's no official list of patron saints in that way. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Patrick is a magician. Bridget was a magician. Talking <laughs> stuff that we talked about and, you know, yeah. as it was many magician saints, it's just that Cyprian retains that lore because of the book, right? The same, the books and the kind of beauty of the beast story that is eternal and timeless out of that. So, um, yeah. may your saint be necromantic beast and all of your beauties be lily daggers of <laughs> antidotes and something. May the cauldron be stirred to bring the best to the boil. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure. And uh, we will reconvene soon for another October episode. Goodbye. Take care, everyone.